Welcome to the TBA Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We have a new film, Malcolm X, written and directed by Spike Lee. Uh, first film was Sorry to Bother You, directed by Boots Riley. That is uh, Mr. Riley's first and only movie so far. So now we're jumping to the other end of the spectrum. Spike Lee is the most acclaimed black director of all time. I think this is unquestionably one of Spike's greatest films and i personally think it is his greatest film i also think it's denzel washington's greatest performance and that's a crazy thing to say but we'll we have plenty of episodes to talk about this let's get to it malcolm x directed by spike lee written by spike lee starring denzel washington i'm Derek allsweet one half of the hosting crew the other half is the young professor the hottest name in the podcast game Corey hunt let's get to it you're not an american you are the victim of america you didn't have a choice coming over here. He didn't say, black man, black woman, come on over and help me build America. He said, nigga, get down in the bottom of that boat and I'm taking you over there to help me build America. Being born here does not make you an American. I'm not an American, you're not an American. You're one of the 22 million black people who are the victims of America. You and I, we've never seen any democracy. We ain't seen no democracy on the, the cotton fields of Georgia. Wasn't no democracy down there. We didn't see any democracy on the streets of Harlem, in the streets of Brooklyn, in the streets of Detroit, in Chicago. Ain't no democracy down there. No, we've never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. I can I just hear all the little rebuttals from the from the, from the white blinders and I'm just like but but I didn't own slaves and <laughs> those blah blah blah. Those those voices are just circulating in my head, crowded in your head yeah. from Facebook. Yeah, I've heard it too many times. I've seen it too many times. Yeah, yeah, and I need to cleanse from that. Just from the those. perfect the perfect rhetoric every time, and they're just like but yeah. So, but yeah, man, Malcolm was a orator extraordinaire for sure, man. Um and uh. Denzel, that uh, he nails that vocalization incredible so crazy, and he looks just like him. He moves. He he. It was it was incredible. One of the best performances I've ever seen, even by him. And he's got yeah. some bangers, man. Because in a lot of his films, like over time, he's like developed these crutches where you'll see him kind of do these similar moves. And I see maybe one or two in here. There's the walk. There's the walk when there's he, the slam. You know, there's a few <laughs> little different moves that he does. My favorite is the walk when he walks into the police precinct. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's that it's that just determined Denzel coming down. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love Denzel so much in this movie. He killed it. Speaking of love, uh, Spike Lee in the orange suit whoo, with mm-hmm. his walk. Zoot, yeah, with so, the zoot like, strut. I mean, that guy knows how to how to how to make a visual, you know, like a memorable visual. Mm-hmm. We got the barber shop at the beginning. Um, the second Denzel comes in from the first from the first scene, it's just like he's engaged. It's like mm-hmm. you're ready to roll. I was I, I mentioned the hair straightener scene. Any thoughts about hair straightening in general, or like that shit hits so hard home. Every time they did anything with that shit, oh man, I was dying because I grew up with that shit, and like in the '90s, people were still doing it. Like we weren't doing the conk. What they were doing when I was growing up was called like the S curl. So right before my generation was the Jerry curl, which was like yeah. Ice Cube, Big Curls. So then by the time I'm starting to come of age, my teenage years, 
it's tinier curls. So you got like the flat top right. with the little curls and you got to use that same stuff. But instead of like potatoes and powder, it comes in a little neat little box in a little container or whatever. And yeah, wow. man. And this is going into their, the early 90s when this film is made. I'm yeah. not sure that they don't still do that in certain places. I know right. some people, it's very, very, it's more, way more rare these days, but some people still definitely do that. And with black women, it's extremely more. So that's the same well, yeah, thing that black women uses to straighten their hair is that, is that lie chemical. That's probably as common now as it's ever been. Yes. Right? Yes. With the Instagram. Sure. Uh, I mean, I guess era. maybe it might have actually slightly curved down with this whole like with the since Kendrick and you know just a lot of these different black power movements is becoming cool. more and more pre prevalent to where you see natural black hair for sure um you think from women too yes okay so okay. they'll have their hair cut shorter yeah. and have a little fro or they'll they'll be doing a lot more afrocentric stuff with with i mean but there's still the perms and the weaves and all that mm -hmm. stuff going on for sure but there's just a little uptick in the african afrocentric love how does that make you feel the practice of that today does it make you feeling kind of where it's just not your your business it's like everybody can do what they want to me it's a like what he explains you know i see it the same way it's a clear uh, expression of self-hatred you right. know what I mean? Because we're cooking our hair, right. you know, to make it look this certain way. And I think it's really, it's on an epigenetic type level. It's on a really subliminal, subconscious type thing. So it's not like, I don't, I don't like me, but you just been indoctrinated with commercials and looks. This person is the most beautiful right. and all those different things for years and years to where you're just like, well, let me just straighten this up a little bit and let me do that. And then it's just imp imp impressed upon you even by your own culture as well, where they're like, girl, get your, get your hair, right. get that good hair, blah, blah, right. blah, and all that stuff. So that stuff to me is total self-hatred type materials. And right. once anyone really just delves into self-love, I don't think those things become right. an option anymore. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I mean, it might be judgmental though as well. No, you know, that's just my so perspective. It's those, those subconscious <laughs> effects, right? Those are the most fascinating in a way. Those are where like people get those moments of clarity or enlightenment. I think teaching white people about things like that is what really starts to kind of create a deeper kind of change. Understanding, and understanding. for sure. Um, so anytime, yeah, those subconscious effects are like I'm like, dude, tell me about that. Yeah, like even like with the facial hair type thing and mm -hmm. all that. I mean, I think that's more for we can all relate so that's when it kind of like because the thing with white privilege when you talk about white privilege it's a, it's a privilege it's not like a genetic thing or a, a promise it's just a thing that like right if you do the right things then you can keep that privilege but if you do the wrong things and you can lose that privilege so then with white privilege like for a black man we gotta we gotta shave our face but then white people are like i gotta shave my face too because it's white privilege it's not just about you know you just being white it's about you looking a certain way of whiteness you right. know so where when you shave as a white man especially then you get closer to that eurocentric um hmm. what do you call it just that look standard the standard of of what is what we're all going for you know mm -hmm. i mean we're you know we're all going for this and then but only some of us can actually all the way get there you know what i mean and so mm -hmm. those who are kind of depending on your proximity to that standard that's your privilege you know what i mean the closer right. you are to that standard and if you move yourself away from that standard you're like i'm gonna grow out my hair right. and i'm gonna get this big old beard and i'm gonna walk around all dirty then you're gonna move farther away from that standardization of you know right. what i mean pu white purity or whatever you want to call it right yeah that eurocentric look uh, is directly tied into jesus white jesus as well which is a, a topic here i mean i i haven't studied the um 
you know, ev- the evolutions of Jesus as he's depicted in, mm-hmm. in art or whatever. Um, I don't know when the first drawing of a white Jesus happened or if there were drawings of a black Jesus. I'm not before. educated on black Jesus yeah. and I've read up on white Jesus, but I smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't tell you for sure for certain, but anyway, my good, understanding good topic to, is good topic the, uh, to study the, the iconography of Jesus so, like throughout history is from Rome Roman times, right. and so that's where a lot of today's Christianity, as we understand so it, it comes from. Yeah, yeah, okay. And because their whole thing with Christianity, because there was Christianity in Africa, a lot of people don't know. They're like, oh, blacks didn't have Christianity until they came to America, but there are black. Jesus's and depictions of a black Jesus in Africa gotcha. from long, long ago. Mm-hmm. But um, the Romans, when they got a hold of Christianity, what they did was just take a bunch of different religions and put them all together to create this governmental right. system. They were trying to create control with it, and that's why it's built in the way that it is. And I've, I've wrote that exact same thing down in my notes. <laughs> just that Christianity was always meant to preserve the power of kings, I think. There you go. Denzel says looks white, don't it? After he gets yeah, as soon as he gets that calm. Yeah, I thought that was powerful for sure. Mm-hmm. That was that was too perfect, man. It was so perfect because and just to see how excited you know he was at that moment. Like I thought that was so funny. It was so minimal and nothing, but the way he was wiping off his hand when he would give him dab, they would slide the hands and he would wipe his hand each time. I don't know. That doesn't make any He's sense. It doesn't matter. It's but it was just too an clean. incredible performance. Yeah, so detailed. Uh, so the, uh, the the clan attacks his home. Yeah. Uh, the show f- flashback from when he's a child. Freedom, independence, and self-respect uh, can never be achieved. His dad's talking to his kids about the clan attack. So his father's family was killed and raped by white men. Mm-hmm. This is like really the foundation for Malcolm and, the, you know, <laughs> what steers him the direction that he goes um, I think in the second act mm-hmm. is that foundation. I mean, just what happened to his family was just yeah. His insane. mom too. Yeah, his mom being being raped, or no, his his grandma right. create his mother or whatever. Right. right. Yeah, the product of rape. His mom's product of rape. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad's murdered, and they call it a suicide, which mm-hmm. made me think of the some of the questionable hangings recently. A right? lot of them. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 and then and then her children are taken away from her because she can't because CPS. Says that she this can't movie it. is so thick. It just touches so everything, dude. We've got All those like things are so powerful. So like each one of those things, like the social system and how it right. breaks up black families. Bang! Hit that on the head. You know, black folks and their desire to, you know, their um, inferiority complex with the looks white, don't it? Like that's right. that makes it better. And then uh, the police complicity. Of and, and right. just the systematic complicity of of right. how people keep black people have been getting murdered for centuries out here and this justice justice system that's finger quotes for you listeners <laughs> is uh, just complicit with allowing to, and that's to this day yeah. a lot of these things is so it, it's like man that was so powerful and poignant in ninety two and it's almost heartbreaking how. You it could just drop the same movie today, man, and it just be it just hit so many yeah. of the same points. We haven't made much progress in those twenty years. Or yeah, I mean it's it's vital, I think, to point out or to at least remind yourself of progress, whatever progress has been made for sure, um, or just identify it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, but you know, 
you you the the what's poisoning something is what is always going to draw your focus um, and as it needs to in order to for it to be fixed. And I think too, just kind of like we kind of get focused in on those small victories to an extent, but then sometimes when you take a small you take a step back and look at the big picture, you're like it can be daunting. You're like, oh yeah, that, yeah. that is a lot of progress what we had going, but when you look at right. what we got with the races. It's not, it's not that fast. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, his first girlfriend, I don't think he, does he marry her? Uh, no, no. Laura, uh-huh. played by Teresa Randall. Uh, Denzel says that she's fine as May Wine in the film, and he He's is not uh, wrong. absolutely right about that. <laughs> not wrong. Woo. She's been in a few Spike movies. I think she was the lead of uh, like Girl 6 or something like that. Uh-huh. I think so. I think she's in, uh, I want to say she's in She's Gotta Have It. She's so fine super uh he that said malcolm uh meets his first uh white uh mm-hmm. partner there in the car the first time they sleep together she asks if he's ever been with a white woman he says yeah he says all kinds she's like no one who wasn't a whore <laughs> <laughs> which was i mean that also like that was kind of like sad too just because it showed like how uncommon it was for interracial uh hookups even um that weren't from prostitutes yeah, I thought that club scene was super interesting because it kind of showed the dichotomy of like a club today where you just got the DJ. Dude, they, that club scene's in killing it. By killed the way. it, killed it. The whole <laughs> that whole choreography was wild. But so even just, just the dynamic of like having like a symphony. They had like a full it horn was section and all that going on. I'm like, man, I need to hit that club. I need to bring that back. I mean, when you look at everything Spike did in this movie, I mean, like, just the variety of quality scenes. It's just, like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let, let, let us Scorsese influence, I, I felt, in this movie. And I'll yeah. talk about that a little bit more okay. later. So then, there, yeah, there was the the white lady. He's He's got this fine black queen. <laughs> but she's, but she's but not giving she's, out. She's, she's not putting got, out. They put, they put that right there on the front street. Like, <laughs> but she lives up on the hill, and she got a grandma. I thought that was, man, he just rushes across these things and it's just like these flowers just blossom behind right just this simple stroke of just being like but she's got a grandma right that's like there's a whole story there yeah family structure so that means she actually abides and she's got self-confidence and you know all these different things Mm -hmm. and he just 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 says that in just that simple little flick and then there's that whole conversation and then (laughs) spike is just drop chin drop wolf eyes and then he, Denzel looks at him and is like, what is this man looking at? And so then they're both just gawky over this this woman. Yeah. What did you think of her aesthetics? You think she was like beautiful or, you know, average yeah. or anything? You thought she was she's, very beautiful? She's gorgeous, yeah. Yes. I mean, okay. I would, I'd be a lucky man to marry her. How old is she right now? She's single? <laughs> I don't think... Teresa Randall! <laughs> She's single. About to hit her up on Twitter. I'm gonna guess you might want to go. Yeah, she's probably married. But uh, uh, I didn't think she was that. I didn't think she was that. Wait, you're talking about the white woman? I thought she. Yeah, the white woman. I thought she was. Oh no, 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 no. Okay. No, I thought you're talking about Teresa Randall. No, yeah, of course. That's not even a question. Oh no, no, uh, no. I wasn't that into her. So yeah, she wasn't. But she was like the way that she was presented. It was. It was like an average woman. 
whitened up for lack Elevated, of a better yeah. phrase you know what i mean she just had all the whiteness she had the, the white dress and the red lipstick and the well they had to make her a little less beautiful dude. than laura right oh, okay you know i didn't saying? think about it like that to, to to show just the kind of it unfairness or yes. disparity I, th- I just thought it on on my own prejudice i guess i was like this lady ain't even this beautiful not even thinking that that was on yeah. purpose <laughs> I mean, so they, 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 there's, there's an allusion to black men wanting white women specifically right before that. I, yes. I think it's his yes. dad because his mom was light skinned. I forget. Because, yeah, because yeah. because that their their mothers were raped, then they wanted the prize of white women right. because they had been, you know. <sighs> and and if you, I mean, that's one, also one of the things where I'd be like, I could see myself having that opinion <laughs> it, it's what, awkward <laughs> as a black man being a black man i'm hearing it i'm like man where do i really where do i sit subconsciously because you can't you know the eye can't see itself and so i'm like man i know as much as i can <laughs> you know that yeah. i don't have that hatred you know i I've, i express but blackness it. but what's back there you know mm-hmm. but what's mm-hmm. back there because i know i do love me some white women <laughs> i don't discriminate though i've always been of every every shade and color i see beauty in them all right for sure. me me too and i think that implies that if there is a subconscious thing there it's pretty pretty mellow i think if it's mm-hmm. like i'm just going after white women yeah then, you then got that's where it's like this deep that. <laughs> yeah that's something to look at for sure but uh yeah, I mean, shit, you know, I mean, my theory about <laughs> wealth is, uh, like, the current state of wealth exists so old, ugly white men can keep beautiful white women, and they're afraid of the white race being, like, genetically, like, uh, 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 erased because yeah. of interracial children. Like there, there's a phrase for it. Um, actually, it's a real theory. Like there's a lot of white people in America that are that, like that's their cause. Like they're they're terrified that I white mean, people are going to go like extinct. An inevitability, right? But it's it's an interesting thing to think like that. That's the motivation for some races. Like some uh, white supremacism and, and racism is like they're worried about the white race being extinct. It's kind of interesting thing. I, I wonder I, what I, I would. I wonder it. how I would feel about that. That's interesting. You know, yeah. what I mean, it's, it's not something I would instantly just condemn. You know, what I mean, that's an interesting feeling—a feeling of because it, it's it's like the other side of the coin of descendants of slaves who don't have a history. You know, what I mean, so these so that creates a certain kind of dichotomy where these people are concerned about not having a future. Right. And so wow. I think they create very similar type of, you know what I mean? Talk about a yin and a yang, man. Wow. And they crack against each other. Fascinating. Dude, there's a scene where they're playing like cops and robbers in their that suits. That was super awkward. What was that? I don't know. I don't what? know that anybody was like ever doing six that. Six-year-olds. Let alone Max. Let alone Mama so Max growing up. And you know who I take it def- back. That's the one scene that should have been cut from the movie. <laughs> I agree. That could have that could have gone because I don't get the what it was even. I think it was kind of like this thing of like he does have a child in him, but it was that wasn't very well I done. I just thought it was funny. I just wanted to make fun of it. But there was a couple scenes. Like that one where like he falls on the grass in that expensive ass suit, <laughs> yeah. Or they're another and he's one on where the they're beach. laying on the beach. Yeah, the <laughs> no, that's not happening. When you're la- in the suit. Oh, that a uh, black woman is not laying her hair on the sand like that without no scarf or no nothing. Never, ever, not never, unless there's million dollars. That's hilarious. Um, uh, God, sorry. There, there are going to be some really 
bad segues in this podcast because there's some serious stuff so i might go from laughing to mentioning something horribly serious <laughs> and then he was shot yeah, yeah, yeah. um which i'm about to do right now so brace yourself <laughs> for this horrible segue uh so there i correct me if i'm wrong but i think there's a scene where his mother doesn't get the insurance policy yeah. from the father's death because mm-hmm. it's ruled a suicide even though yeah. he was murdered that's that systematic that's, his, that's yeah. that systematic right. i was talking about yeah um, there's, and his relationship with Sophia, the, his white girlfriend, uh, played by Kate. But Burnham. even oh, before we just brush past mm-hmm. that, uh, that's huge, man. Because yeah, they break mm-hmm. up their family because they take the wealth. So that's generational wealth they're talking about right there being yeah. stolen. And they're talking about how he breaks breaks up that family of all those kids and parcels them out. Parcel being being a very punny word, yeah. you know what I mean? Just like they're just. Uh, pieces of you know equipment or right. something like that not human totally breaking up their family union and that creates you know that creates oh black on black crime you know because you know you have family lists people who don't have any connection to their heritage not hate you know what i mean right. they, that's what they need as well and that's what they that's and that's true in that sense they actually do lack that heritage that creates this like Malcolm X, who is who has proves himself later on as he grows up to be an astute, you know, powerful gem to the world. But as he's growing up, because of the conditions and the environment, he's a criminal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's a thief and he's a delinquent mm-hmm. and all these different things. But that's not because he's black. That's because of the policies that and the that create the environment that he lived in. You know what I mean? I think that was very that can important. happen to white people. Anybody, as well. you put right. anybody, and that it made me think of a white friend actually when they, that topic came up. Mm-hmm. That was a brilliant guy. That I know he would have been a multimillionaire because he was such a great entrepreneur. But he started selling pounds of weed in the you know mid late nineties when mm-hmm. it was like a freaking felony. Mm-hmm. You know, so his life just went and he ended up tragically passing away from you know overdose from drug addiction. I had a friend who was the most responsible dude I, I knew back when I was in my party days. So we would be at his house and we'd be partying all night and it hit like midnight and he would just like a dime. Go, go. I got to go to bed. I got to work in the morning because the way he was raised, then his mother passed and it just changed. You know what I mean? It just changed everything. So then hmm. he did the same thing. Like he started selling <laughs> pounds of herb and then he started doing the white drugs and then started doing the darker drugs and they, he just never bounced back, man. And it's just like, yeah. it can happen to anybody. We're like a Petri dish, you know what I mean? Somebody sneeze on you, you know what I mean? Right. That's gonna create who you become, you know what I mean? I mean, it makes me think of reparations and um I, th- I think that reparations need to start, need to begin, and they need to begin in kind of specific ways like uh, f- free college, I think maybe restitution for people in prison for weed offenses that lost so many years of their lives, disproportionately affecting uh, young black men. I think that's where reparations can begin. How do, what are your it's feelings on that? It's such a bigger thing. The, the one you mentioned that I definitely am born for is like the school situation. Right. Healthcare and school. But the problem, yeah, healthcare. That's a right. that's a key component. But a lot of people will talk about like the college situation. But a lot of black kids aren't even graduating high school. Right. And so that's where I think it really needs to start is health and education of young black youth. And then it's just time. It's been so long that the problem has become more nuanced. Right. And so the problem was never really black people. It was. Uh, the way black people were being treated 
and the conditions that those that that was causing. And so now what we really need to address is those conditions that are not now not only affecting black people. You know what I mean? So it can't really go directly to, you know, the grandson of a slave or whatever. You know what I mean? It needs to go to, you know, because it's just a big thing where you got Mm. slavery, reconstruction, the Jim Crow era, and then you have the black migration. And so that's when all the slaves left the South and went to like these right. populated areas where you see a lot of black people, all these little metropolitan areas we right. call urban areas or ghettos. Right. And so then the policies that were created in those areas, how those people were forced to move there was like lack. They wouldn't give them loans. And then the white right. people that were living there, they would give them loans to move out of there. And the places where they, they would move the white people, they literally had in the deed that black people couldn't move there. Right. You couldn't sell your property to a black person and so forth. And that's how like neighborhood, these little neighborhood associations were formed. And that's what they right. were originally formed for was to keep the neighborhood white. And so we have to go back and address the segregation, you know, and try to figure out ways to unsegregate these neighborhoods in ways that don't um, hinder the other people, hinder more people, but just stop hindering those people that are affected by these ghettos. You know what I mean? So the reparations for me is curing ghettos, you know, so going to the places that we consider ghettos and curing them by, by, um, Really directly, though, not with these Business sweeping loans, leases, banks, depending on the on the circumstance, like Chicago, you would heal differently than you would heal Los Angeles. Right. So like for Chicago, it's got a lot of gang violence and murder. And so you would need to go in and try to find solutions specifically for how they're getting how the why there's so many guns on the street, how to get those guns off the street without imprisoning in disproportionately and ineffectively you know what i mean just putting all, all those kids that have the guns in jail and things like that mm-hmm. and so it's really nuanced you know what i mean it's just about creating committees to really w- with teeth to really do something to address the issues you know what i mean and putting that reparations money into those committees and into right. those solutions it's a financial investment it's an investment in early education i mean now that i mean you're exactly right that the way in my opinion, and I mean, this is the field I work in, is to begin from K through 12. K through 12 is everything, mm-hmm. right? That's what sets you up for the person you're going to be in a lot of ways. Um, I forget who says it, but it's, it's, it's a saying that's like, it's easier to create a great man than to fix a broken one. Right. Talk about nuance. There needs to be a lot more nuance, political uh, movements toward uh primary and secondary school education that's the but, oligarchy but, doesn't want it that's the problem the oligarch, the oligarchy doesn't want it well republicans don't aren't big fans of public education either i think it's i think it's the i think it's combined you know i think they both like the democrats and republicans they juxt you know there's things about republicans that are that is just re- reviling but i think democrats just leave the door open for a lot of stuff too you know what i mean so yeah. it's like a team effort or, and I think it's because, like I say, the oligarchs, which is the owners, you know, the people with the money that pay for the lobbyists for right. both sides, you know what I mean? Or, or, or for their own side, at least, or for, for one side, I mean. And it's like they don't want us, they don't want an educated youth coming up and slowing down the ever speeding consolidation of wealth. You know what I mean? They Things are working. Yeah. <laughs> so this whole thing we're talking about, that's not a, really a problem in their in their mind state. That's right. actually a, the goal. Right. 
Back to the movie. We made it uh, to the intro, when, right? <laughs> when when Denzel's uh, with his uh, with Sophia, uh-huh. um, there's this really interesting scene uh, where he he has her kiss his foot, oh, yeah. and then he says, "When are you gonna holler rape?" And it's just like another tragic scene to watch, where like, you know, even if you even if you somehow could manage to find an interracial relationship, and this is in the forty the nineteen forties mm-hmm. America. I just, I, I so just sympathize with that paranoia that Denzel felt being with a white woman or that a black man would feel being with a white woman. And um, yeah, the whole when are you going to holler rape thing was just, you know what, that goes straight back to law enforcement. You know, a white woman hollers rape on a black man, done, under the jail. And, and um, you know, vice versa, not a damn thing happens, right? So. Especially in that time. Whew. Right. But it's so tragic that some of this stuff comes right up to yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like that whole fear of dating a white woman, that comes up to maybe 10 years ago or something uh, like that. It, and maybe even further for some in right. other places. You know what I mean? Because I've definitely lived that for sure. Right. And that, um, that is a good example of maybe finding something that is progressing some. I don't yes. Know. No, that is progressing for sure. Yeah. I remember in La Salle's, mm-hmm. this lady... I was maybe like 21, 22, something like that. And I'm 38 now. So I was about 16 years ago, something like that. I'm in LaSalle's. And this lady, cute, cute young lady happened to be caught. I don't say Caucasian anymore because that's a <laughs> weird ass thing that I won't get into the history lesson. White, white and black works for me. White lady. Um, and I'm going to spit my game. And then she was so politely racist. <laughs> I had never seen this shit in my life. <laughs> this wow. was some Southern Belle racism. Polite racism. That's the, uh... Southern Belle racism. That's why they say they prefer that stuff. I get it. I got it after that. Because, oh, that's like, why the South is so polite. Because mm-hmm, they were polite with Whoa, racism. Whoa, you just blew my freaking mind right there. That's why Southern Charm exists, so that you can be racist. This is true. Maybe. It's possible. She's like, oh, honey. You cute, but I don't mix. <laughs> I'm from California. Oh my Born God, and bred. Bro. I ain't never heard that. I'm like, mix? I'm not even trying to mix nothing right now. What are you talking? And then it like, then it like kind of clicked. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> now, you also wonder is how much of that is driven by the pressure from the white men in her life. Probably the vast oh, I majority. At, I, I don't wonder at all. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I already know for sure. Yeah, that's heavy. So it's like there's like some misogyny there too on the white woman and that she's just afraid of the white men that surround her. What would happen? Right. Yes, because they've been the closest in that proximity. So they were kind of the first and they become like, you know, the women for Trump type thing or whatever, where they just been domineered. Yeah. And it's not just by men, you know what I mean? It's just like like how black people can be complicit in racism. Women can be complicit in misogyny. And so their moms are like, girl, you better be a good white girl. You better do what your man says and get you a good man and make him dinner and shut up and blah, blah, blah. So it's not even just men doing it. The women do it. You know, once oppression kicks in, it has a tendency to to uh, perpetuate itself, you know what I mean, and that is one of the um, sides of Islam, like you mentioned, that that's covered too, and that that the kind of the role of the of the wife. Uh huh. Um, yeah, they the got woman. the massage very, very, they, they, When I heard that, I was like, man, that's like Christian conservative as fuck. <laughs> you know, like there's a real parallel. That's there. the one they have in yeah, common yeah. for sure. Yeah, but, yeah. but the Muslims probably 
go, I don't know, man, it's, it's interesting. They go more overtly controlling, whereas for sure. Christians for are sure. more for subliminal sure. with it. How do you think they kept everything for so long? It's <laughs> subversive, it's secret. I tell you, yeah, I feel it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Chestnut checkers. So Malcolm's taken from CPS. His family split up. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, is adopted by a white family. There is a scene. Oh, we got a scene. Before we get to the that. scene, uh, go to the scene. What are you gonna say? We're already here. <laughs> so, like, do you think he was actually dressing in those kind of suits? I've never seen Malcolm in like a zoot suit or anything like that. Right? Where did he get his money? They didn't. That's explain what I'm how saying. They didn't say that. exactly. He was That's balling. What I was wondering. Like he, he was, was swagging kind of harder than anybody. He was balling hard, and that was before he started robbing or anything. So, oh, I thought that was right. I agree. Quick reminder to jump on over to Instagram, Twitter, Medium, WordPress, YouTube. Search for the All Sweet Collection. That's A-H-L-S-W-E-D-E, All Sweet Collection. We were parceled out, all of us. I truly believe that if every state agency destroyed a family, it destroyed ours. I was sent to a detention home and lived at this woman's house. And I know you'll keep it clean. Miss Swirling. Boys, this is Malcolm, our new guest. We'll treat him like a brother. Father's reading the newspaper. I was special. What they're reading. The only colored kid in the class. I became sort of a mascot, like a like a pink poodle. In fact, I got called a nigger so much, I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I thought it was my name. They talked about me like I wasn't there, like I was some kind of pedigree dog or horse. Like I was invisible. The important thing is to be realistic. We all like you here, you know that. But you're a nigger, and a lawyer is no realistic goal for a nigger. But why must Ostrowski? I get the best grades in class. I got voted class president. I want to be a lawyer. Now, I want you to think about something that you can be. You're good with your hands. Making things. People would give you work. I would myself. Why don't you become a carpenter? That's a good profession for a color. Wasn't your pa a carpenter? Jesus was a carpenter. People like you as a person. You're doing real well. Remember what we said? Nothing succeeds like success. Let me hear it. Nothing succeeds like success. Right. As long as you're realistic. Yeah, I think that was kind of a really the seed for that, why he was so easily indoctrinated into white hatred. You know what I mean? Because that yeah. was like the killing of his dream right, right. there. That's cold. Do you have any feelings about, you know, being the one black man in the room i experienced that when i got here right so man i feel like when i was in la man i'm almost i'm pretty sure my that private school i went to didn't have any white kids wow <laughs> so we went what to is dude i want to like know about this school. west angeles christian academy is the name of the school yo i went to a service at west angeles the west only angeles, time the school the, the bigger church, church across the street yeah wow yeah. the only time i've been to a service in like 15 years was one time there with my friend Dion down there. That's wild. And I was like yeah, the only white person school. there. Yeah. I went to that school. It was interesting. That created a lot. Man, it really was a powerful 
upbringing, you know what I mean? Because it was really rich with uh, black privilege, I guess, for lack of a better term, but yeah. just black rich, black, black richness, richness you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Just a lot of people doing well for themselves and it just put us really rubbing shoulders with like, you know, actors and directors and just the people, the who's who of, of LA or whatever. So that was really interesting. And it was just normal because I was so young. That's all I really knew. I just thought it was like that. Right. But um, I forgot what I was. We were just talking about there. like being the only black man. In yeah. Room. So, yeah, I came from that. I came from that school with pretty much there might have there was one girl who had white skin. But I'm kind of thinking that I remember something about she wasn't white for some reason. But anyways, she presented white. Anywho, I moved to Chico when I'm about 15 and then it's the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I go to PV first day of school because I lived in California Park, so I was in that district. And yeah, man, I think there might have there might have been some black kids there. But I just remember saying a bunch of N words, <laughs> calling everybody nigga this and nigga that, and everybody looking at me like I was That's crazy. Amazing. Yeah, because they, they don't say that up here like that. That's I guess. amazing. So yeah, did, that like, was did one the of my teacher have to talk to you? <laughs> I got expelled shortly after. Yeah, I didn't go to that school very long. Yeah, I got in a fight over it. So, yeah, I ended up getting into it with a hick. Dude, that just... Man, I've, and I've had conversations with principals or vice principals around town about this. Um, just, like, the rate of suspension and expulsion for black kids versus white kids. And when it's in a community like this, mm-hmm. and there's such a, there's even a smaller percentage of black kids, mm-hmm. those, those suspensions stick out like a... Poor, fucking sore thumb you know what i'm saying like every time i would see like oh this black kid got suspended i would just be like just the the sirens whether, whether they you know they deserved it quote unquote or not like it just it it just is bad <laughs> it's like it's because we just handle things so bluntly you know for that right. type of situation you can't just do protocol right across the line you have to say okay this kid this child is dealing with these type of circumstances let's create right. a certain type of protocol for those circumstances and my and my whole thing is like someone had had these conversations with with principals is like you need to get suspension off the table you need to sit down and there just needs to be a talk Seriously. there's no need for that if there's a fight so what this is like this is this, this, this that talk about um subconscious or not even subconscious effect on someone like if they're getting kicked out of school they're being told that they don't belong those that stats not is good probably enough. ridiculous the right. stats of a kid that gets suspended it's bad. And the chances of them going to, to prison i'm sure you're just the amount of, of black students suspended versus white students oh that as well areas. but yeah. yeah just the the effect of even suspension like i'm sure it's not right po- positive right <laughs> it's a stupid practice so malcolm's mom uh ends up in a psych ward mm. her name by the way is lynette mckee i really like her as an actor she's been in a few i think spike lee movies as well mm. joe lewis is brought up mm-hmm. uh He's a black icon of, of the 40s in Harlem. I think he did something similar to like what he did in Five Bloods, but with way better execution. <laughs> you know what I mean? The way that he, because he like brings up Billie Holiday and all these just, right. so he really touches on black history, right. but not so just in your face with right. it or whatever. I think, I think he's he, very more. Uh, because there's a lot less of it. It's, it's, he's not like, you know, there's barely too, yeah. even a Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. mention or an MLK. Like at the end, you get some MLK, but like, yeah, he's. He doesn't insert a ton, ton of cultural um, 
kind of references. And it's in not there. like a post-it note. Like on, it's like, <laughs> bam, read this. It's like, it's, oh, we're in the club. Oh, and Billy Holiday happens to be there. Red is his name before he's Malcolm X when mm-hmm. he's young. Kind of the first act of his of his life on this in this movie. His mama called him Malcolm. I'm going to call him Malcolm. No. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a scene where he's serving uh, this white sailor. He says, I like you, boy. And and Denzel or, or in Red says thank you sir in response to that it's just like God damn it shows him daydreaming like throwing a pie in his face or something. Oh and, okay uh, yeah yeah yeah. And uh, when he's the train he's cook, like, man, all the amount of anger you gotta suppress when people fucking talk to you that way, like I can't even imagine. <laughs> How much <laughs> anger have you had to suppress in your life, Corey? <laughs> I've been known to be an asshole, so there's that. <laughs> don't suppress it. Yeah, don't suppress it. Let it out. But you know, I definitely do. You know, I'm known. How I ended up on that commission or that committee I was telling you about was because people seeing me. You want to tell communicate tell, tell the audience about that first. Oh yeah, I was just there's a uh, oversight committee committee because we were pushing for uh, Chico City Council to reallocate some of the police budget where they have fifty percent of the budget going directly to the police. And we just felt like, you know, a lot of the community actually, not just, you know, me and my friends or anything like that, but just a lot of the community felt as if that money could be better allocated for like social services and mm-hmm. education, you know, to help create, you know, better situations for the homeless, you know what I mean? And create mm-hmm. opportunities for them to maybe get on their feet and mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, I feel like, you know, the mayor felt that she needed to do something. But she also felt like she couldn't do what we were asking, which was reallocate some of the funds right. because her base is really police, you know, bootlicking right. type, you know, just, <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to say it, but Pro I'm going to keep it a buck. I'm going to keep it a buck. Yeah. So she didn't really feel like she could do do what we were asking and really give us, you know, really bring us to the table and let's talk about the budget. So instead, she she threw us a bone and was like, let's talk about. Uh, another one of our requests, which was um, uh, synchronizing or uh, standardizing the Chico PD's use of force with the state, you know, what the state what, what the state allocates. And there's some certain verbiage in there that we wanted kind of brought to the Chico PD to where uh, it's not just uh, I, f- I forget the exact terminology and I don't want, and I don't want to brutalize it. But it was just like it was like a really semantic thing that can be used as a as a loophole to really get aggressive in in situations that where it's not necessary or useful. And so there's a committee now to look over that of the mayor and the vice mayor, some police representatives, and each one of them gets to bring in a community member. And the vice mayor who fought to get on the committee invited me to be her sidekick. It's good. I mean, it's a, it's a step forward. And I guess it it's, is. it's open. It is. It's open to at least some degree of success. Like it's kind of what you you. It is what you. What it's you make more than it. nothing. And yeah, I'm yeah. hoping to try to take it and make it make something out of it for sure. There's always that's awesome. an opportunity. That's awesome. Well, you got my support here anytime you need it. For sure. All right, let's go to uh, where he meets uh, West Indian Archie, mm. played my by boy Delroy Lindo. My boy, one of the greats, Delroy Lindo. Ooh. The cast in this movie is really. Fascinating. Um, the cameos too, and, and uh, some we'll of the cameos. Some of yeah, man. Nelson Mandela's in this movie. That, that <laughs> blows my mind. It blows what? mine too. Blows what? mine too. Um, I didn't even remember that actually when I first rewatched this, or when when I first rewatched it, when I rewatched it. Yeah. 
That was a surprise. So uh, Del Orlando. So what the note I wrote here was Black Mafia, right? Because that's just the impression I got. Like, okay, this guy's like this. This reminds me exactly of Goodfellas. Like same exact thing. There's no difference. Um, um, and then I Google Black Mafia, and mm-hmm. like, granted, I just went to the Wikipedia page, but it opened up this whole like, oh my god, the stories like. Well, like what there's so much you material. Remember, do you remember any of the characters off the top? Uh, let me see. Let me go to the page here. So I wonder which mafia they're talking. If they're talking like Bumpy Johnson. Or- so African American organized crime. And by the way, Wikipedia is fine. Everybody, calm down. <laughs> uh, so in the 19th and early 20th centuries, uh-huh. there's African American organized crime. Yeah. Um, following that large scale migration that you're talking mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a tons of untapped. Films and books and stories about this. There's stuff. some good I, I films really that are out too. Have you seen uh, Hoodlum? No. Okay. Yeah. I imagine there have there must be yeah, there's, some there's, films there's on some this. Fire. There's okay. some fire ones for sure. Okay. Because yeah, I mean, I was kind of into that when I was growing up. Because I was into the the Italian ones. Right. And then somebody kind of said something. I think in one of them about you know like blacks and blacks trying to be Italian or whatever, and that kind of really sparked me into toward that rabbit hole that you're talking yeah. about and so yeah the the main ones i know about is like the harlem kind of movement and that's kind of what i think right. he was in with the numbers racket and all right. that and they were kind of i learned like, what that numbers game was i didn't know about that either yeah. the person i was watching with wasn't familiar with that yeah. either and i just know from like i said those movies that i was watching with like the main character that i know who's one of the bigger guys of that was one of the first black kingpins was kind of like bumpy johnson mm-hmm. and then there's nikki barnes and they're they're all kind of like the Harlem legends or whatever. That and this is from the forties, thirties. Do you know? I'm not great with time periods. Okay. It's somewhere around there, though. Yeah, yeah like twenties to the forties, somewhere in yeah. there. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of strange in a way that like, like the '90s black film, the New Jack City, mm-hmm. the you know that 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 incorporated all these these kind of Italian mm-hmm. mobster themes. Like they why they just incorporate black mobster themes from the beginning. Like these films, you mm-hmm. know? Like it's 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 interesting that they had to go Italian. I don't wonder if that was a calculated kind of decision. But it became a cultural movement too in hip hop and everything. Like Exactly. It's weird. Exactly. I don't really know the nuts and bolts of it, but it definitely feels like some white supremacy shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we had our own, but they had us worshiping somebody else's shit. You know what I mean? And that's what they do to us every time. You know what I mean? This, I have not heard this conversation yet. Like, this is a fascinating conversation to me. We got to have it. We got to watch. We got to put that on the list. Hoodlum. For sure. For Something sure. like that. One of those. Oh, oh one thing. Uh, when, when he goes to meet uh, West Indian Archie, when Red does. Mm-hmm. Um, he's harassed by this black man at a bar. Mm-hmm. He calls him country. And like it just, was like okay, I, I didn't realize that he appeared country. Okay, like there's yeah. a difference between what oh, his yeah. suit was and like oh, the city yeah. uh-huh. black man's suit. That's a big thing. So country is just more flashy, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. country folks was trying to be city folks, right? But they didn't know what it was, so that's why they got the flashy suits and everything from the <laughs> TV or whatever, because that's what they thought it was. And then and city folk always looked down on country folk right and that's because they were more assimilated into whiteness or whatever right. you want to call it so they're that countryness 
is reminding them where they come from. And, and so that's that it. kind of self-hatred type thing. They're right. like, man, get up out of here, country. Right. But it, that's not what they say to themselves, you know what I mean? But that's what's really being expressed there, that hatred. It's like, why you hate that man just because he's from the country? And what it really is is just that reminder Man, talk about Lair in this movie. I mean, that's like it's a 15-second scene it's that super, is a gigantic exactly. theme. Exactly. <laughs> and, and there's so many of them in this here, This is one of man. the greatest movies ever made. It really I'm is. serious. It really is. It really is. <laughs> I mean, just from Especially a... time-based when you... Like, I just kept saying, 92? 92? Well, that's, that's when crazy. it started. And we see Rodney King at the beginning of the film. I bet that, that this film year. started to be made Same before thing. that even happened. Oh, what I was thinking, I'm wondering, because I'm wondering when in 92 it came out... And November. What role? November. Okay, so it was probably after the riots. I was like, I wonder if black folks seen this, and that actually played a, a role in why they were so stoked. The timing by the, was Im- impeccable at the very least. Either way, yeah. Before, or after. And wow, I mean, talk about just like like cultural lightning striking. I mean, he had this movie had to have been greenlit and started to be made before the Rodney King thing happened. Oh yeah. So, um, what what I wanted to say about that was that uh. This movie did cause the the Malcolm X brand to boom. Oh yeah, like that's like the X hats with the Dude, they had or whatever. Oh, they had. That's when African pendants came back. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? They, because I think that was this movie specifically. I think. Okay. Combined with what was going on socially, this was like all right. Now Malcolm X is a brand because I think like ninety three was when that that X brand was like at its peak. You know there what I'm was. The Queen Latifah movement too, like Q-Tip, Queen Latifah, they had that whole like black nationalist hip hop. It wasn't even black nationalist though, it was just more like I'm black and I'm proud type thing. Yeah. Because there is a difference there because like black nationalist is like blacks We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But I think it was kind of a perfect storm type situation, you know what I mean? Because you got more video footage where you got people seeing that oppression is real. You know what I mean? You're seeing the tanks bust through people's homes because the Los Angeles chief of police had instilled militarized policing to crack down on what year it was. I'm not exactly sure. I think this it was, was for before. Rodney King, though? It was before. No, this oh, was, was before. This was L.A. policing for crack. And so this was like 89, that was like colors. 91. Colors would represent that. Yeah. I was not even thinking more so just a movie as far as just like the perfect storm right. that was happening with it. So that movement of the police in that, that started kind of in the late 80s, yeah. people started seeing it. They started having it on the news where they're like busting right. in the homes with tanks and stuff. And then you got Malcolm X. Then you got Queen Latifah. And you got uh, Arrested The Chronic. You got Dr. Dre. I mean, Snoop's wearing an X hat and they ain't nothing but a G thing video. I mean... That alone is like, boom, um, facts. Yeah, what 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 a year ninety two. It, it's bubbling up before Nas and Jay and, and everybody kind of hits the scene. Outcasts mm-hmm. like, what what a year, what a year. I mean, I was twelve, you were 10, 11. 11. 11. Talk about when you're impressionable. Had seventh grade one day I got one because I was just you know nothing but G thing I was just like I was all in I was all in on the chronic I'm 12 I'm like this is my identity like I like that it makes me different blah 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 and by the way 
there were a lot of white kids in 1992 going through that. Like, hip-hop was this new cultural phenomenon. Oh, yeah. And, like, it was almost... <laughs> it wasn't hard to, like, to, to buy into the culture as a white person, obviously. But there was definitely a, a backlash from other white people. Oh, yeah. Um, and black people, I imagine. And black, black people, too, like, of yeah, course. Man. Yeah, so I wore this hat. And, uh, I, damn, I had some balls in seventh grade. I'm going to say that. I mean, <laughs> there were, like, a few black kids at, at the school. I don't really remember... I remember it being a thing that everybody was looking at me and like talking about, and I think that was the only day I wore it. Black kids getting mad at white kids for wearing eggs hat is lame as f, though. That's lame. Thank you, thank you. Let's put that out. Also, there. also, I, 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 I had braids as a junior or sophomore. Man, that's high. ballsy as shit. <laughs> now, that's the ballsy I one. Wore braids. <laughs> that it's boy cool. jumped out the window with it. Hey man, I was really hey. trying to. I was trying to trying get to it connect. out there. I man. feel it. I yeah. feel it. Show show white people that they didn't have to be the way they are. But that's a complex conversation as well. Woo. I did that one day too and took him out. I was wondering, I was gonna ask how long did that last? That I remember terrible. there was one there was one oh, I forget her name. She was like I think she was like a junior, senior. One girl that was like one black girl that was like, What the fuck are you doing, white boy? Like you ain't black as I was like walking by, she was just like Berating me, I was terrified. <laughs> I think I know who that would have been. <laughs> yeah, you might. <laughs> I got my guesses. So I won't uh, put them on blast. <laughs> uh, the cocaine scene. Mm. We can kind of skip over that. I mean, that no, because I was that hits that one you're talking about with the. Uh, oh, I keeps it all in my head. So he's like, I keep it all in my head. Then he he hooks. Malcolm on Coke, mm-hmm. which is odd in show itself. What they did. A lot of times, though, in that situation, the kingpin is like, don't, especially in the black movement in that time, that was like a big thing of like, don't get high. It was a lie. Just like, don't snitch is usually a lie. You know what I mean? It's like, don't snitch, but then everybody be snitching. So then back in that day, it was like, don't get high on your own supply. Right. But then obviously a lot of black folks was getting right. high right. or whatever. And so... It's more don't tell people that you're getting high on your own supply. Bang. But uh, <laughs> I thought it was an important scene because it kind of broke down... A, that that foreshadow and they really went hard on that foreshadow they kept talking about he they had a couple different scenes where he's like i I I told you not to write it down not to write it down then they get high right and then malcolm gets up and he's i thought it was interesting too i wanted to ask your opinion on that as far as delroy's uh expressions his facial expressions i don't know if you remember them but when they were in that scene so like he gives the coke to malcolm malcolm does it and then Malcolm introduces it to his lady. And that's when Delroy gets up and he kind of walks off and he's kind of got this face. But it's not really expressed or like hmm. described or anything. It's kind of just, it was kind of one of those moments like I was asking you in, in the Five Bloods and you were like, you kind of broke it. You were like, oh yeah, that was because he blah, blah, blah. Oh. So I was like, maybe he might no, pick, have picked that, up on I that didn't, one. I didn't read anything from that. It was difficult. I didn't, re- I didn't wasn't huh. able to read it either. But so then he's standing over there and he does it a couple I times. I just felt like he was high, just walking around. He definitely was high as shit. <laughs> And so then Malcolm gives it to, to his girl, and, it, and they all start playing guns and shit. He takes out the gun, and, and Delroy's like, oh, calm down. And they start playing play guns again, the play gun game <laughs> that they love so much. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was interesting, too, though, when the wife gets up and she kind of plays along. I thought that was an interesting dynamic that showed kind of like an inclusion or whatever. I don't know. But um, so then that's when he's like, what time is it, baby? And she tells him that it's like 8, 12, I guess. And so then he's like, combinate me. 
Oh. And then he's like, 812-212-812 or whatever. So he gave him those numbers. And that's what oh, that whole shit dude, was about. That was, I was so foggy. And wait, I was like, wait, did he lie or didn't he lie? Like, did I didn't miss that somehow. He got those numbers. Oh, he hit that number. And Delroy was too high to remember. Interesting. And never put it in. Hmm. And so I thought that was pretty yeah, important. Yeah, if he, yeah, because they say he never forgot a number, but then he never. Been high he for said in twenty-two years, he yeah. never forgot a number, but he forgot that number. They just showed us. Maybe it showed just like the myth that he was trying to create about himself, and that's total bullshit. And he probably forgot numbers and and punked people before. And that's just like, an, that's a possibility. Like the, what I really get to though is something that I learned in life, written <laughs> experience. It's just running with criminals is dangerous as hell. That shit, they can turn on yeah. you any second, and it's dangerous, man. Like every hustler, I was trapped. Denzel says mm. he mm. he uh, he moves to Boston. Um, there's the conflict with Archie. Um, you know, they try to kill him. He, he gets away. Oh, actually, we're gonna play like a good solid four minute s- sequence here where. Okay. Uh, which I felt was a, was a real turning point. Okay. Like every hustler, I was trapped. Cats that hung together trying to find a little security to find an answer mm. found nothing. Cats that might have probed space or cured cancer. I mean, West Indian Archie might have been a mathematical genius. We were all victims of the American social order. Until that time, there were three things that I was always afraid of. A job, a bust, and jail. But I realized then that I wasn't afraid of anything. I was an animal. That should remind me why I do not run with criminals, boy. Jesus. So this is so this scene is I love this scene. Um, it's from a cinematic standpoint. Mm-hmm. This is the Scorsese that I'm talking about. I mean, the other actress that's with Spike Lee in this movie, uh, she's in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like the beginning of that mobster kind of cutthroat for the top kind of vibe. I mm-hmm. think for him. Um, and uh yeah there's that there's um he does the you know flip a coin thing which reminded me of anton shigura no country for old men okay where he's killing people but it's based off of a coin flip and then there was one other cinematic reference oh deer hunter where they they play uh are you familiar with the deer hunter film so that's an early it's like a 70s film with Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, it was it was kind of famous. Um, Sounds fire. And uh, there's this really famous uh, Russian roulette scene. Um, okay. Um, Deer Hunter is also a three hour plus movie. That's, I was thinking but, about uh, watching it until you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot going on in this scene for me. Yeah, this is the beginning of the cutthroat red. I think I want to keep watching the movie <laughs> at this point, honestly. <laughs> Um, but we'll just talk about it. So they commit a robbery. They steal a ring from some old white people, and uh, they get uh, sentenced. That was so fucking weird. Nobody's trying to steal a ring off somebody's fucking finger in a home invasion. Yeah, that's like the worst that thing you could the, steal. All they had, they could have took the whole house. <laughs> you don't need to take so the thinking, ring off his finger. You're thinking logistically. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I was just like, what? So they get like 14 sentences from 8 to 10 years. It shows how they just throw the absolute book at them. The white, the white women mm-hmm. get two years. Um, fortunately for Red. Another uh, flash of white privilege. Right. Just splash uh, on it. They um, are served concurrently. So it's just a total of 10 years. Um, that began in February 1946. Just a reminder that it was a non-violent crime they committed, still eight to ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we go into seeing the prison where the, he's walking to the prison, 
And there's a very familiar sample oh, from yeah. prison. Do yep. you know you know what that's oh, from? Oh yeah, Tupac. Hold your head, Tupac. There's a second uh, Tupac sample. Oh, is there? Yeah. There's a sample on Hold Your Head and White Man's World from uh, the Don Caluminati's Seven Days Theory. Uh, my favorite album of all time. The only album that Tupac released under Machiavelli and that came out after he died. You keep doing what the white man wants you to do. Who, oh, who made yeah, you afraid? He, yes, of being yes. Black? I knew I heard that somewhere. Okay, yeah. 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 I would sure. love to play White Man's World and Hold Your Head right for now sure. for my favorite album of all time. Now. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the movie, too, matter of fact. Now really? Mention it. So I'm going to talk about the correlations between Tupac and Malcolm X. This stuck out to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. They, I think they were equally charismatic and powerful speakers. Agreed. And had an equally huge platform. Agreed. They both go to jail. So Malcolm goes to jail at 21 years old, I think. Pretty sure Pac went to jail at 21, if not very close to Oh, we're to talking age. about Pac and Malcolm. I yes. thought we were talking about Malcolm and Martin. No, 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 Pac, Pac go and ahead. Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Um, Keep they, going. they go to jail around the same time. Uh-huh. Going to jail, you know, they're like, before jail, they're, you know, Pac is like thug life, and like, they're, they're both kind of like, you know, just gangster shit. Pac you know? always was a Black Panther, too, though. Right, that, so that, too. Um, uh, they go to jail. They obviously study while they're in jail. Uh, to reveal here that Mal- Malcolm was in jail for, for longer than Pac, so Malcolm got oh, his yeah. master's degree in jail. I didn't know that. That Malcolm got his master's yeah, no, in they jail. Mentioned, yeah. They mentioned it. I didn't even hear that. Catch yeah. that. I don't know. And then you know, when they get out, they evolve. You know, when Pac got out of jail after all the, the rape charges and shot for the first time, and you know, that's when he was like, wise Pac, granted right? He was only like 24. 25 years old malcolm is kind of two different people after he gets out of jail he's the you know black nationalism fighting fire with fire malcolm at the Mm -hmm. beginning and then he changes late stage i think Pac was always both of those Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. from when he got out of jail and even before a little bit um you know i think jail made him a little more educated and wise because you have that time to focus on reading and writing, which he did a ton of in prison. I don't know if I follow that, man. I think he was pretty educated because his mom... He like, was. He, raising him, he had to read. Mag- like Because that's the difference between Malcolm and Pac was Pac was raised by Black Panthers. Like He was born right. in jail and blah, blah, blah. So his mom was like making him read magazines for punishment and things like that. And he went to a performing arts school in Baltimore when he was a kid. I think prison will inevitably cause oh. you to be study more. Obviously, there's a bunch of fools in there just stabbing each other. And shit, right, you know what I mean? right. But like a certain person like Pac or Malcolm, yeah, yeah. A person you know, that's your got, time to like. All right, I'm going to devote all my time to studying. Basically. I think the key component, like Malcolm, their their connection is Malcolm did have a revolutionary father, and so he had that instilled at an early age as well as that revolutionaryism. And I think, and, and Pac did as well with his mom and all of his right. uncles and everything. And I think that, having that seed, then you put that seed in, in the dark in jail. And I think that's what kind of really blossoms that way when, when you get that character. Because yeah. a lot of people definitely do that. And a lot of them come from those homes where they have like a slight educational presence, but it just wasn't enough to keep them out of the streets right. or from being victim to you know system systematic racism where they might not even been doing anything but they just got caught up in some nonsense but with that seed underneath then blossoms these these leader types right Pac died at 25 malcolm died at 40 i i wonder i mean this is like a horrible thing to even think but it's like malcolm was in jail for eight to ten years Mm -hmm. right 
So he when he got out, he was in his 30s. Mm-hmm. Pac got out, he was like 23, 24. I think he might have served like two years, maybe, or something like that. Maybe mm-hmm. Oh, I it's almost like going if Pac was in jail longer, he'd still be alive there. today. It was the most perverse thought, but like, it almost, I feel like it might be true. I mean, it's a whole It probably would be whole, because of a different dynamic than what you're probably thinking, though. It's an insane logic, let me just say that. <laughs> it, it makes sense, though, be, you know, as, as callous as it might appear from, from, mm-hmm. a, from a certain perspective or whatever, but the reality is he got, he got out on bond. So he wasn't even supposed to get out. Right. And so he felt indebted to Suge and he was a loyal person. What what Suge was going to tell him to do. So that's what really happened. And even beyond what Suge would even tell him to do, you know what I mean? Because that was the type of person he was. Yeah. He was just that type of person to be like, that's the line you're pushing, then that's the line we're pushing. You know what I mean? Pac became loyal to a mob boss, essentially. I mean, he surely did. Literally, that was the name of their gang, too, Mob. Right. That's a good point. That is. The maybe the great tragedy of Tupac is his allegiance to Suge Knight out of the gate. Factually, (laughs) for sure. I mean, there's that short term fucking super stardom that happened because of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like chasing the, you know, Suge Knight was the actual devil to Tupac, if if you want to really break it down, providing that like, you know, promise of like immense fame and riches. And And there's that whole dynamic of the conspiracy theory too, of like, cause he was coming to the end of his contract and had dreams of grandeur and so forth. But I won't get in that rabbit hole. He's our leader of whatever, you know, he's our orator closest thing we had to them, you know, the Malcolms and and those, and those types, you know, cause they don't come around really like that anymore. Great point. Great point. And I think he might, is he the last I mean, I don't even know how to phrase this. Like, is he the last black revolutionary? No. I'm going to instantly respond to that with I don't think so. But there is something. It feels like there is something that is never going to happen again that Tupac captured. There has been a consistent push against, you know, there's there's documentation of whether I, I confuse whether it was Hoover or Nixon. But they wrote a documentation, which was like the inception of COINTELPRO, if you're familiar with that. Counterintelligence program, and that's how they dismantled the Black Panthers. And the whole thing about it, they literally stated in in the documentation, is like they were fearing the Black Messiah. That was the the verbatim uh, language. And they were talking about the Malcolms and and the Martins, and so they they created programs to make sure they said that was the black messiah was the greatest threat to american safety or something something along those lines and so i believe that's the true reason why we have had such difficulty coming up with our next you know national because there's there's certainly many you know local uh leaders that are doing great things maybe that's better local leaders versus one one leader is almost like it's, pro- it's dangerous. A, it's like problematic. It's, it's often problematic. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. that whole the old adage about you know Too absolute power, power right. corrupting absolutely. I believe that that definitely does happen. And I'm so cynical, man. I won't even talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving along, moving along, moving along. Red goes into solitary confinement. <clears throat> um, that ultimate defiance that that that, that he's projecting. Um, I think the, pre- the the uh, pre- the presentation of that was a little clunky, because like if you're in solitary confinement, it's actually not like that. 
like where it can be very dark like that. But the other thing, the worst part about it is the noise. So hmm. it's never quiet like that. It's always like how he was moaning and yelling at the end. Mm-hmm. It's somebody doing that all the time. Ooh, that's hell. 24 7. That's, 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 that's really kind of worst. That's what drives you crazy in the hole is just being around all these other people that already went crazy and they're just yelling all the time, 24 7. It's, it's hell, torture. dude. It's, un, it's inhumane. For a nonviolent crime. A yeah. man curses because he does not have the words to say what's on his mind. Man, he hit me right there. I was like, Ooh, that okay. That hits hard. Okay, I'm going to have to <laughs> tighten it up. Because. The, the inability to have the words that are really inside of you to, to describe or to describe the emotions that are actually inside of you. When you lack those, I think that's spot on. You do resort to swearing. And it just makes me think of, you know, people from kind of poor communities that are less educated and just the, the way that it comes across, you know, is like, oh, you know that person genuinely is kind of a lower level than me you know what i'm saying yeah and that's where education like education is what brings equality essentially you know all men are created equal to equal value a lack of education can make other people think that person is less valuable than i am oh yeah and um or that's just so powerful and it just speaks to why k-12 through is so so vital it might be the most vital thing in my opinion i agree respect his body and his mind okay Mm. so now and this is what you mentioned earlier and um this is bane's teaching read basically about islam in prison and he's he's going this route of you have to you know respect yourself and your health the white man's poison cigarette dope liquor white women and pork I just want to, on the side, why are pigs worse than cows and chickens? Can because anyone... they don't, because uh, they chew their own cud or something. I forget the exact verbiage. I'm just but saying, it's about the way pigs that are that dirty. Uh, let's look at cows and chickens. You, you do know that pigs don't sweat, right? Did you know that? No. That's why they're dirty. So they're all their toxins and stuff. So I guess, what, what are your feelings on pork and, and pigs? I still eat it. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> but I understand it. I'm not So there's a difference between cows, pigs and cows and chickens to you? In my mind, yeah. Okay. I do understand it. I think those, like, because they have that same thing in the Bible as well. Right. And I think those tenants do have value. How much value, I don't know. And it hasn't been enough in my understanding to uh, spur the change. <laughs> but it's in there. That's, that's my... Cause we all got conditioning and stuff like that, you know. What I mean, that we're work that we're either working against or we're not, and I, that's how I feel, anyways. And I feel like I've really worked against a lot of stuff, but I, that's kind of where I'm at in my battle. Is kind of my understanding with my diet. You know, I eat a kind of a lot of foul shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it's self hate. That's a form of self hate because I know that yeah. that's not giving me the best opportunity to have the best life and longevity that I'm looking for. But yet and still, I'm still ingesting it. You know what I mean? And so I've yeah. got to kind of battle with that condition of why i'm doing that you know what mm-hmm. i mean i just want to throw cows in there with pigs they're, they're, the red meat's no better than you this. seem like a cow hater dude and i don't think i'm liking it because <laughs> i love me some I steak, drink cows, boy. I but drink, cows I drink cows are super milk, bad so. the reason that cows are bad is just because of how bad. hard it is to grow them you know what i right. mean and the, the resources and all of that stuff and red meat's not good for you either i don't know about that man okay, i've heard okay. i've heard conflicting reports okay but that's me being a steak lover i just look i just i'm gonna have some criticisms of hey, uh of have them any religion uh-huh 
And uh, the pig thing, it's just, I don't know. Of any religion? Come on. There's got to be one exception to the rule that doesn't uh, deserve criticism. D's criticism. Oh, well, look, that's we don't need to go on that team. All right. All right. All right. I'm just <laughs> putting it out there. Okay. He doesn't hate all religions, folks. He just so we, <laughs> we get... Um, we get into uh, worshiping a white Jesus. Mm. Did you ever look up the word black in a dictionary? For what? Did you ever study anything that wasn't part of some con? What the hell for, man? <laughs> I that was funny. Black, destitute of light, devoid of color, enveloped in darkness, hence utterly dismal or gloomy, as the future looked black. Pretty good with them words, ain't you? Soiled with dirt, foul, sullen. Hostile, forbidding, as a black day. Foully or outrageously wicked, as black cruelty. Indicating disgrace, dishonor, or culpability. And there's others. Black male, black ball, black guard. Yeah, well, there's some more, right? Let's look up white. Here. Read. White, of the color of pure snow, uh, reflecting all the rays of the spectrum, the opposite of black. Uh, free from spot or blemish. Innocent, pure. Innocent. Huh. Ain't this something without evil intent? Harmless, honest, square dealing, and honorable. Wait a minute, but this 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 was written by white folks, though, right? I mean, this white white folks book. This sure ain't no black man's book. So what we reading this one for? Because the truth is lying there. If you read behind the words, you got to take everything the white man says and use it against him. That scene hit me hella hard when I when I when I saw it. The black and the white. Yeah. Um. Talk about subconscious effects. I mean. I don't know. I just think I think that's substantial. I oh, do. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think that white racism. <laughs> I think this is a bit. That's a that right there is like a bigger part of white racism than I think people might realize. I hear you. Um, or just the connotations, you know, with those words and the definition. Definition. I forget who it was. It was it was uh, Pablo Neruda or something like that. Some old writer. That talks about how we use words with a definition when words have definitions, you know what I mean? And so we often use these terms in ways that are meant to be oppressive, you know what I mean? The most oppressive definition, like innocent for, for white, you know what I mean? That, who slipped that in there? <laughs> That's Unbelievable. Crazy. And I mean, pure even purity as well. I mean... yeah. Pure is the driven snow. I mean, think about that. Or like, you know, the color of mud or something like. Pure. That is the core of racism right there. You know, that's the terminology that was used. They're like pure race. The core of supremacy. There you go. I think. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Right. Um, And and that's supremacy is also another word that might not be used enough. I think that I think it could I think it could and should probably replace the word racism. I think mm. it'd be much. I mean, I don't know. I think there's certain. I think there's certain uh, brackets where they just wouldn't be applicable. Okay. Because 
It does fit a lot. Of, I think you're right on the head of overuse. That's obvious from most people that racism is an overuse term. And I think a lot of the time, the word that they're using, they're meaning to their meaning, including myself. I think I mean superiority complex more so than I meaning racism as well. It's certainly one of the top excuses white people use to avoid talking about something it's like oh i'm and tired of the word for racism a while with that shit where i would not <laughs> say it i would just not even call anybody racist cause right because my goal is beyond trying to get you to understand your racist is to get you to address your racism smart to be calculated though too and if you have to maybe it's not a, say something to draw people in there's some there's some there's some it's such a logic dance. to that it's a difficult <laughs> dance it's like because at the same time you don't want to be capitulating right but sometimes you need to, you know what I mean? So it's just like, ah, it's hey, this well, dance. It's that's dance. life, man. The, the the dance and the paradox and the contradiction and the I never contradict the, personally, but I hear you. What's that? I was like, I never contradict personally. No, 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 no. I'm joking. No, no, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Jackie Robinson is a, is a reference that's brought up. They celebrate the fact that he got called up and, um, what's his name again? Baines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just uses that opportunity to say like, "Oh, they they gave us a little, a little." There was bone. a bone, yeah. Right. Um, uh, he's talking about the greatest crime in history. Mm. Uh, I, I wrote that down because I feel like you know the Holocaust is the kind of I think the the standard bearer for the quote unquote greatest crime in history, mm-hmm. right? That, that we know of mm-hmm. in, to our generation. I think slavery isn't equated to that enough mm-hmm. i think you know in terms of us repenting as a country for slavery and how this is very much at the heart of it, i think what's going on today is that truly accepting and repenting for what has happened um like germany did for the holocaust mm-hmm. um that's one of the i think more profound things that needs to happen like now that that's one of those examples of change that can start happening right now and that's where the toppling of the statues and the confederate flags and monuments i think that's part of that um your your thoughts i think that is very clumsy okay the whole removing of the statues because yeah we could take them out and we have the resources to actually do that but those ideas won't die with them. And so that's what we're really battling is not people, but ideas. And so I think that's kind of similar. What we're struggling with is they're taking down these statues, but they're not addressing the ideas. And so they're, it, I forget the phrase, but it's the something before the something. So they're, 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 they're the calm before the storm. No, it's yeah. when you, when you, when you do something out of order, you okay. know, so the statue should come down, uh, Confederate flag the, shouldn't the, the be flown. The carriage before the horse or something? Maybe? I think that's it. Maybe that's the one. Yeah, the carriage before the horse. And so the statue should come down, but not before the ideology comes down. Because then you're just infuriating people who haven't learned why the statues need to come down. And but so is that fury not just the, 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 the flame that will soon die and that, 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 that's, a, that's a, a proper beginning Hey, that is taking on the symbolism. I mean, symbolism is is very important. Very much so. And so, when you remove, when you steal symbolism from people, opposed to convince them to remove it, mm-hmm. I think it creates it's unproductive, in my personal opinion. You know, so I think what really needs to happen is these people who have these ideas they need to be addressed. But the problem is the way that they need to be addressed and the time and the patience that that takes. 
the people who are trying to address them don't have don't aren't right. willing to applicate that again i think it has to be done k through 12 in, in white communities yeah. well so the, i agree with that to an extent but then what do we do with these millions of <laughs> uh, ninth grade to, to death you know what i mean because yeah. that's a lot of people and they a lot of too many of those people hold these ideals so it's like i used to be like man it's only the old people and they'll die off but then you keep seeing these younger people mm-hmm. coming in and filling in the space and so it's like what do we do with the old people until they're gone you know mm-hmm. just hope they die off and then we just feed them because as long as these older people are here they're indoctrinating k through 12 as well right. you know what i mean and so right we have to cure the the the, the proliferator or whatever before we can really this is a very uh, strong, heavy topic. <laughs> it's almost scary a little bit to talk about, isn't it? Story of my life, man. I'm li- I live here every day. Yeah. I, I see myself from time to time getting exhausted dealing with old racist folks that I shouldn't be. Right. And so that shit will burn me out. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a break. And then I, like 10 minutes later, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> you yeah. know, I can't leave. It's unbelievable. Once you know, you know. I think it was James Baldwin that was just like, the state of a uh, informed I'm murdering the quote but it's paraphrase the state of an informed black man in America is insanity you know what I mean because once you know you can't turn back away and it's just in your yeah. face all the time yeah. of how they're indoctrinating us and how the majority of people will refuse to believe that that's what's happening and right. and you just gotta live with it well said Baines goes on to uh, say uh, that the black man is the original man and they were a race of kings, Mm. um, that they are lost in the wilderness Mm. called North America. Mm -hmm. That word wilderness really kind of hit me for some reason. Um, Elijah Muhammad, I believe this is, I don't know if Elijah Muhammad, oh no, he might be introduced at this point. Um, this is when we get the all white men are devils narrative. Which I want to touch on that though. Of course. The yeah. part about um all we come from kings. Right. So that's problematic because it's this glorification of materialism. So we don't all come from kings. Obviously, a right. king is a king of a nation, you know what I mean? Good, so good we point. come from nations, and some of us were just the people in that kingdom. We weren't all the kings, and that's okay. That doesn't make us less than. And so that's why I think that's kind of a problematic uh, viewpoint that some black revolutionaries have. But that makes perfect sense in this because this is is Malcolm now in his stage of where he's fighting fire with fire. Mm-hmm. So it's, okay, the medieval European like narrative of like the white kings that have ruled and, and dictated the religion and what we call our years like okay no 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 now we we're the were, kings we were those we're guys. the kings that's their whole doctrine for sure and you're right that you're exactly right with what you just said but that's the point of the kind of second act Malcolm is that fuck yeah, ma- yeah. fuck maybe what's the most logical or smartest uh-huh. if you really break it down this is about Fighting fire with fire. And like you were saying earlier, that's probably the the reaction I would have as right. well, for sure. <laughs> right, right. No, it, 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 that's what's so cool about these three different um, phases is that it's a progression that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's a natural progression. It's a beautiful yeah, progression. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, organic. So he's asked to bend mm. his knee to Allah, a a implore scene. for forgiveness. Um, 
that I just wrote, I wrote like medieval kings, and that, that was where I was going to bring up the Bible being kind of a, a tool for, for kings to keep their power. And like bending your knee to the religious figure is exactly what kings uh, mm-hmm. requested Require, as well. Yeah. I thought that whole thing about you will bend your knee to grovel and steal, but you won't bend your knee for, uh, what's the word, salvation. Hmm. I thought that was a very interesting line. Because I'm kind of a spiritual person, but I'm like a picker and chooser type, you know what I mean? Because I mm-hmm. feel like I have a personal, I grew up, my dad was like this very prominent figure in L, in the LA Alcoholics Anonymous scene. So he had his wild years in the streets or whatever. And then he met my mom and she kind of turned him around. He got this job and he really held it down. And he was going to Alcoholics Anonymous and he became this real prominent figure to where they would just call him all across the the county to be a speaker. I have a connection with with religion through watching my father speak at these AA meetings where he was like, he had a saying of a God of your own understanding. He, he would always speak on that. And that's that really set in with me to where I was able to look at Buddhism and Christianity and, and uh, Islam and just kind of right. pick and choose and be like, because that whole thing about you have to believe, I grew up in that Christian belief of you have to believe that Jesus was born and died for mm-hmm. your sins or you don't make it into heaven. I've never really been able to just be like, this is for sure. Right. You know, so I feel like my the God of my understanding is not going to hold it against me if I don't believe Jesus was born and, and died for my sins. So back to the movie because mm-hmm. what we're supposed to be talking about yeah. is uh how he was saying you know come to your salvation and being willing to do what you do for money and what you do to survive in this world for your spirit i thought that was really powerful i'm just like a straight all religions are are, are silly to me uh-huh but the, what's problematic with that is it puts me on some pedestal like i fucking know i'm smart and like everybody else isn't and that's not how I feel. Mm-hmm. It's just purely an analyzation I feel it. that I have. Um, I never, you know, I don't know. It's hard, man. It's it's honestly hard to have that opinion because you feel like you're an asshole mm-hmm. to anyone who is religious and it, and it can get uncomfortable and awkward. He has an hallucination of Elijah mm-hmm. Muhammad. The hallucination mm-hmm. scene just reminded me like, it's kind of common amongst different religious people. It's like, oh, I saw this thing, and I'm sure that I saw it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm just like, no, you didn't. <laughs> so, like, but, 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 but what stuck out was that, I, I, that, that you could tell that was a, a part of the book. It was like a, kind of a heavy voiceover monologue mm-hmm. um, where it, it almost seemed like verbatim from the book when, when Malcolm described yeah, this definitely. moment that yeah, he had. Yeah, definitely. I, you haven't read the book? No. Oh, I read it a long time ago, back when I was in elementary school or but that just like made me think like oh man see now you're going down crazy road like this is just all craziness like you, you're losing me here bro i don't know you have no spirituality derek no that's zero. wild man i can't imagine that it but made. i was indoctrinated at an early age into spiritualism so there's that so my mentality is to erase all narratives that's what I, I, that, that was driven home to me when i went to uc santa barbara by some of my professors mm-hmm but um, I had kind of been that way before. But um, what does that mean? That means every narrative that you've been told, mm-hmm. whether it's religion or how, just how you're supposed to live your life. I think it's specifically kind of related to like living the capitalist life and living a religious life. Like 
erase everything that you've been told about how life is supposed to be and, and define own. it in your own way off of okay. what you see. Sure. I think I subscribe to that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't had a hallucination. I haven't. Have you ever done drug, like LSD or shrooms or any of that? I have done LSD and shrooms. Yes. Then you never hallucinated? Well, but Malcolm wasn't doing LSD when but he saw Elijah Muhammad. I didn't say like Malcolm. I'm just saying hallucinations, um, period. You know what? That said, no. When I've done those drugs, I did not hallucinate. I, I had an intense sure. emotional response. Sure, I don't usually hallucinate either. Yeah, yeah. I've never had a genuine hallucination like that. I have had some genuine hallucinations, really? but not Things usually. look wavy. Like, That's a hallucination. That's a mild hallucination. <laughs> and I think with hallucinations and with psychedelics in general it's it's the mind and i think your mind was kind of like because that's that's a critical component to be able to use L or psychedelics is just having a strong mind because mm -hmm. if you don't have a strong mind actually will take you over the edge you'll be living mm -hmm. by the river for the rest of your life but i think that people who are afraid of Oh, truth or reality are the ones who, that take it, that who like go crazy. I agree. Yeah. I agree for sure. And that's why when I'm not ready for reality, I don't mess with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I don't even like to use the word reality because it's too often subjective. Sure. But, um, I think when it comes to LSD and shrooms, that's yeah, reality. That fits. That fits. <laughs> it fits in this dynamic for sure. So we still have that nothing to lose mentality for Malcolm as he's carrying on right here. He has a confrontation with the uh, with a Christopher Plummer is in this film as a as a priest. Yeah. Has the Jesus was black argument with 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 the mm -hmm. with the pastor in jail? Uh, I love his new haircut. <laughs> I love it. It looks amazing. <laughs> it looks amazing. Shave it off. So you didn't like the conk black, is what you're saying. You I didn't don't like, like the, the straightened conk. hair. I love his his hair. He looks fresh as hell. Hating on the conk. Just whatever. <laughs> it's whatever. I feel you, Malcolm. I, I had the S curl. His black hair. Hey, nothing wrong with a lie. Remain. <laughs> I'm it's not so lying. funny. It's so funny that that's what that stuff is called. What the stuff that makes your hair press that they press their hair is called lie. Did you, you didn't even know that? <laughs> that's hilarious. That's super wild. Jesus was black is um, is something that we learn at this point an important topic that uh, never never should go without discussion and uh, clarification. But Jesus isn't black. Okay, talk to me. We'll okay, let's see. Where let's do we start simple. here? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to introduce the most complex topic. A lot of these things in religion are like, there's a lot of shrooms in religion, you know? So that's where a lot of that stuff is coming from. Well, there's a theory that, that, that apes evolved into humans because of shrooms and it opened up passageways in there oh i've never even heard of that. It's a great theory. It's, a, it's kind of a Joe Rogan. I don't want to become the Joe Rogan podcast, but it's something he's talked about. But I'm sorry, carry on about so, Jesus was black. There's the whole thing about Jesus being black because the hair of wool and the feet of copper. But right. there's also an interpretation of that as it also says like burnt copper and like fire and these other things. So where it's like not even a human. It's not human description. It's more like the sun. Some people believe he's a representation of like physical. The sun? Some people believe he's a representation of the sun. He's literally called the sun. Yes. The cross is like seasons. All that right, shit right, right. is super I'm, deep. Yeah, I'm all, so, I'm all yeah, there's it. definitely the belief that he was the uh, sun. So mm -hmm. Jesus was an ideology, not necessarily a person, person. Right. but just a way a of being or whatever. That you makes know? a lot more sense to me. So that's one of the theologies. Okay, moving. So, yeah, no such thing as black Jesus. 
okay. or white Jesus. But everywhere you go, Interesting. I like it. where you go, he's depicted as them. White. So there's no, there's Chinese Jesus in China. There's African Jesus or black Jesus in Africa, white Jesus in America. Wherever you go, he's See, depicted as I thought as it was them. common for Jesus Other, to be white, white no matter everywhere. where it was. I'm sure that's probably so one of the, of the most famous ones. So if you go other places, right. then there'll be white Jesus. There probably won't be Chinese Jesus. Well, when you Jesus. think about missionaries going to different countries, there I mean, go. that's a white Jesus. There you go. That's right. how that works. Yeah. Remain faithful, Elijah Muhammad says to Malcolm as he meets him for the first time. Uh, Elijah Muhammad played by Al Freeman Jr. Uh, pretty convincing performance oh, by, yeah. by Al. Oh, yeah. Um, we go to a scene where Malcolm's speaking from steps, and there's this political soapbox. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. existed in the '50s and '60s, and uh-huh. I was, it was just like I was like, "Oh, there's Twitter before Twitter," <laughs> and Who like was... how you had to do it, and like we're talking about charisma, and like yeah, you know, it's like kind of the modern day politician always has to have that kind of drive and endeavor, and, and but it's just it's funny. It's like there are only a few. There are only certain people who even will be willing to get on that soapbox or who want to get on that. Well, so the capability, steps, who have the capability. Um, you know, there's, it just it made me think of that type of person. Now, mm-hmm. It's like a, a real kind of step towards something different. I mean, you're putting yourself out there. I mean, you can relate to this too personally right now. Yeah, I do this. I do this in the 2020 version with much uh, less prolificness than uh, the great <laughs> Did that Dr. scene X. make you feel any, any kind of way or... I didn't. I I thought it was a little choppy, actually. I mean, I I, I appreciated what they were presenting, right? But the closeness of it, we got know, Al I mean, Sharpton. We got an Al Sharpton cameo. Do you know that? Who was the other dude? Do you know? I don't know. The mid, there was a guy in the middle. The guy at the end was Al Sharpton. Yeah, over, no, I caught the Al Sharpton, Sharpton reference, and yeah, that's yeah. what made me that much more frustrated. I couldn't get the second. Uh, the Sharpton character in this says, "Oh, we need to control our dollar." It made me think of which we brought up a little earlier. Just black loans, black. Banks, black business, black money, um, black capitalism's what they black call it. Capitalism. Um, I'm not a fan, but it's a thing. Well, this is obviously a topic that will always come back to black capitalism. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's intertwined through it all for sure. Peace be unto you. So assalamualaikum means peace be unto you. I just wrote that down because it made me think like when people say peace to each other when they leave, it's essentially the same exact thing. You can leave the be unto you part out. Say peace. I say peace be with us. Okay. That's my thing. I feel like that's kind of, it really has a powerful effect in today's era anyway. I've been talking to people and we'll just be blah, blah, blah. And I'll just see that there's no meat on the bone. And then I'll just say something kind of respectful or whatever and just be peace be with us. And I've seen that really kind of just, oh, they just shut it all down. All the weird shit that they were talking or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, you know what? You, peace be with you too. You know, blah, blah, blah. It seems so there's to have a pretty profound effect. In that. It seems to. I, I could be. Well, there's a reason why. Anecdotal. There's a reason why. I mean, it's not though. I mean, there's a reason why alaikum is. Oh the, yeah, exactly. The phrase. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's incredible power too. Yeah, and especially when you start saying it like that, because you got the Sanskrit instead of English, which is like this really backwards, un. You know, say that dreaded word, spiritual. Uh, no, you can say uh, speaking where. It's believed that like with Sanskrit and some of these older languages, the way that you're enunciating the words is creating this flow that has even a more profound effect beyond than just right. communicating, whatever, right. which is the, like, the it comes back to, to why we 
in English and in more modern languages, we disagree and conflict so much because the way that we're talking, you know, we're like, it's like the energy with the communication. Whereas when you're speaking to more of these older dialects, then there's less confusion and, and, and adversarialness yeah. in just embedded in the language or whatever. Interesting. Um, we're going to stop. We're, we're going to end on this last scene. Um, uh, Malcolm is in a small like conference room type thing. And I think it's the first time we see him in front of a podium, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So this is a good time to stop because this is an obvious kind of Switch. turning point into his just public life, you know. Um it's that small conference room. It's just like again. It's like it's it's like he went from sitting on the steps, and now he's got now he's got a little room, and there's you know twenty five people sitting in there with some chairs. It's just like I looked at this and I was like, oh, you know, we're all we're all able to be so kind of political on the internet now mm-hmm. that before the internet, like this is what it was, and that's what I was talking about, like a certain type of personality to even try to do this, to even think that you. Are worthy of being in front of a crowd, and 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 I kind of never got to that. Like, do you have what feelings do you have about that when you speak in front of people, or if it's like people are like, "Oh, Corey, we want you to speak in front of people." Is there there has to be something going on in your mind that's new, that's changing, that's to deal with ego and humility and fear, and you, do I even belong? Do am I, you know what am I even doing up here? What are some of your feelings about that? Oh, good talk, man. Yeah, what you said. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it, dude. You, you just hit it. Left little for me, but yeah, exactly, man. They When they reach out, dude, you, all that shit hits. Yeah. Like like uh, Alex Brown, vice mayor. I got like multiple people messaging me on on uh, Facebook like, Alex Brown is trying to get in contact with you. Alex Brown is trying to get in contact with you. And, and I get in contact with her and she's like, yeah, I'd like to have you on this ad hoc committee to uh, oversight the Chico PD about their use of force. I'm just like, okay. I mean, I do this, but I never you, you gave me was the thinking mind, about the mind that or whatever. Emoji. You sent the mind blown emoji. <laughs> My mind was blown. <laughs> Literally, I was just like, okay. So y'all think, and she's like, yeah, I've, I've heard you speak and people are, are recommending you. And it's like that humbleness, you know, I just feel like I'm just another one of the people. I know so many people that are just doing it. You know what I mean? That I'm just another Joe Schmo just, you know, putting my finger on the scale to help what everybody else is doing. And so, yeah, man, it's mind blowing. And you try not to get caught up in it of like, oh, I guess I'm I guess I'm one of the people of the thing or whatever. It's like, nah, I'm still me and I'm just doing my thing and any of us can do this. And then there's being in a uh, predominantly uh, white county or whatever, there's that, oh, shit, (laughs) I'm representing, you know, the black uh, contingent. And that shit is heavier than heavy because I can't because I literally just can't represent a whole community. Which is is false. And yeah, exactly. It's just not a possibility. Yeah, because we're. Cause that's racism, <laughs> you know. That's racism right. himself to think that me one because just because I'm black, I can speak for all black people because we're all right. Uh, I we have these sim- we're monolithic, you know, and that's just not reality. There's so many different ideologies within the black community because just being black only creates one unifying uh, dynamic, which is to have it to endure racism 
uh, that is towards black people. You know what I mean? But that mm-hmm. can affect everyone differently. If you grew up in a two parent household, you grew up adopted by white people. You know, there's just so many different right. dynamics of of black life. And so, yeah, that was really kind of one of the harder hitting dynamics of this invitation of just being like, I can't I know I can't please everybody in the black community. You know what I mean? But I'm just going to do my best to try to hear what everybody has to say and present it and understand that. I have volunteered to be looked at a certain way, you know what I mean, by people who are dealing with whatever they're dealing with. You know what I mean? A lot of times when people come at you adversarial, it's not just because they disagree. It's because what they're going through in their own life. You know what I mean? And that's something that I realized some time ago. And so it's helped me not to take things too personally. So I'm interested to see what comes of that whole dynamic. Man, there's no better way to end this podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. So Thanks for coming, Corey, man. This is so fun, man. Thank you for coming through. Yes, sir. Yeah. Till the next one. Thanks for tuning in to the Talking Black Art Podcast. I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Derek Allsweet. Join with me today, as always, on this episode. It's Corey Hunt. This is part three on the film Malcolm X. Listen to this podcast on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor, Good Pods, anywhere. Enjoy. We left off with Malcolm just getting out of jail, getting his footing in front of people speaking. He goes and visits some people from his past. So he goes and sees Archie alone in his home in need of medical care. That made me think of just kind of healthcare in general and people who are left behind, you know, in, in the system. The thing that also I thought of was um, how we treat the elderly in America and how that can vary from like culture to culture or even race to race. Do you think that's true? I know like a lot of Asian countries are kind of known for you know, really taking immense care of their elders, whereas Americans, it's just like throwing them in a nursing home. Is there like a black tradition with the elderly that that comes to mind? Or it's just everyone's unique. You know that word again, non-monolithic or whatever. So right. there's always these these variances of it. But I guess if you're gonna go and generalize, <clears throat> and when it's capable, when they're capable, you know, there's always that elder being taken care of in the, in the home black homes not usually being able to afford um health care like as far as being able to put someone in the home that costs money you know what i mean so a lot of time you just got to put grandpa in the garage or whatever or something like that yeah. or in the living room a lot of the time from my era like 80s early 90s type scene is like you'll come to somebody's house and grandma be in the living room with the with the special bed or whatever and for me personally well, my dad, my whole thing was always I would never let him go to a home. You know, that was something me and my brothers and sisters, my sister went back and forth about about how we wanted to do it as far as, you know, being able to have a life for yourself and then taking care of them and mm-hmm. that whole balance or whatever. So for me, it was a blessing and an honor to never have to put my father in a convalescent home. But every time I see a scene like that, it definitely brings back the memories of that situation or whatever. And part of doing this podcast is for me is, or for, I mean, for both of us, for, for anyone listening, it's just learning, learning the the right vocabulary, the right way to ask questions, right? Sure. Like you do not represent all black men, no one person represents all of anything. Sure. So, so when I, so I guess if, if I ask you questions like that, it's like just your personal experience. Mm-hmm. 
And then we can always talk about, you know, society in, in general as well. I mean, I guess it's so dynamic, you know, yeah. in, in that one regard, like just so even with that scene, it's just a lot to digest. You know, when he's just sitting there and he looks like he's had the stroke with the arm hanging and then the the way the the room is taken care of or, or not taken care of. It just says a lot, you know, like and then the dynamic of the fact that he was kind of the man at one point, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he was the man and that kind of hit home for me, you know what I mean? Not that I'm the man, <laughs> but just being in a position right now where I'm really able to take care of myself and everything is yeah. functioning and everything. But then it's like you hit a bump or two in the road or whatever, and then you don't have really children or, or family or whatever right. to take care of you. It's interesting how quick you could, any of us or many of us could slip into that situation. And that scene is kind of about family and it shows that that character, I guess the lifestyle that he chose, Equated to him not having a family. Isolated himself. Yeah. Or the people, his family that he created, they were all in this cultural dynamic that was unsustainable type thing. You know, how Cadillac got strung out on heroin and then the other buddy died in in sexual intercourse. Right, right. Uh, Laura has become a prostitute. This Mm. is his first, uh, Malcolm's first love. Love. Um, so that's a pretty, pretty tragic scene there. Um, talks to like that shelteredness cause she was so sheltered. And when she's growing up, it's like, she did have the grandma and everything like we were saying, but also she wasn't really exposed enough to learn how to deal with the dynamics of oppression on her community. You know what I mean? So she was in love with a man and he had a drug habit and she just didn't have the mental capacity of how to really deal with that to where and and it was the way they presented it as well created this di- this vi- this vision of like this is a a cycle that's all too often of right. how when Malcolm right. is talking to the waitress like i mean that's the, you know that's the next step in the cycle she 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 knows he's on drugs and she ain't tricking yet but any minute she will be and yeah. and years down the line shows that that's that's where it ended up yeah, very sad. And that, that's a good point about how it felt like Spike was trying to say this is a typical mm-hmm. progression or a common one, all too common one. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Betty Shabazz is introduced, the elegant, stunning Angela, Angela Bassett. Bassett. Uh, I, I saw her name named Dr. Betty Sounders as well. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I don't know. I didn't I catch if she... Either. If she changed her name, when I she mean, met Malcolm that's or probably her before, her before. Uh, slave name. I'm, I right, would right. imagine, and then she changed she it changed to Shabazz. Um, seeing Angela and Denzel on screen together is just like fire. freaking A plus, A fire. plus list, dude. I love it. Super far. There's a quote: "The building of a new nation begins with the women." Um, we're now getting introduced to the Nation of Islam's perspective on a woman's role in society. Mm-hmm. Um, very strict, regressive views on women. You, it's one of the first things you mentioned in the first podcast, or one of the reasons why, you know, you, or one of the things that did not appeal to you with the, the Muslim faith. Um, they mentioned half the man's age plus seven for the youngest women <laughs> you date. So have you ever heard that equation? I never have. I've heard it a lot. I don't know if it came from this movie. I've never heard that in yeah. my life. That is a weird equation. Half his age plus seven. So you can only you can you can't you can date twenty six year olds and up, Corey. Hey, I'm not <laughs> upset about it. I mean, if this is what I got to do, I'll do it for the cause. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get in the first clip of part two where Denzel 
there is uh, kind of a protest in the street between police officers and uh, citizens, uh, black citizens. And uh, one man has been taken into custody and he's been injured, I think, pretty badly by police officers. And uh, Malcolm is finding out about this. Like I was telling you, I found this to be a pretty uh, modern scene. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Feels like this could, happen, this could happen today. Unfortunately, not much has changed in that regard. We demand to see Brother Johnson. Who the hell are you? I'm the minister for Muslim Temple Number 7. Never heard of you. Where is he? Nobody here by that name. Wait a second. What is your name, fellow? Don't worry about what my name is. Two witnesses saw Brother Johnson brought in here, beat up. Nobody saw him brought out. You didn't hear the sergeant? Outside. I suggest you look outside that window. Jimmy, come here, sir. Yes, we intend to see Brother Johnson. Who the hell are they supposed to be? They're brothers of Brother Johnson. Let me take a look at that blog. Yeah, we got a Muslim. Relief must have put it down. Must have. Yeah, but you can't see him because you ain't his lawyer. No lawyer, no see. Well, until I'm satisfied that Brother Johnson is receiving proper medical care, nobody will move. Break it up. You got what you wanted. No, I'm not satisfied. To the hospital. That's too much power for one man to have. That scene gets me so high. That scene makes me feel. <laughs> I just be lost in thought, dude. It's, it's interesting. It's yeah. powerful. Um, a lot to comment on there. Yeah. Uh, we. We were uh, talking about hair on the first podcast, um, and you were talking about the Eurocentric look or appealing to that Eurocentric ideal. Um, do you, does that apply to clothing as well in your mind, like the fact that they're wearing suits? That is an interesting question, because as usual, I'm only speaking for self, but I always found right. it interesting when black folks glorify European uh, designing or like like suits and stuff like that because that's not us and I feel like it's kind of built into or comes from a lack of you know because we come from a culture where we've been divorced and so we're from Africa most likely you know but where in Africa the 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 country the tribe and that those cultures are all mad different you know what I mean it's like it's not just like one big melting pot and so. It's a big we, <laughs> we don't we don't have really much bigger than America mm -hmm. and we don't have much to pull from on that and so I guess that kind of leaves us to just you mm -hmm. know the the 20s or whatever the first black folks in America and the way when they were distinguished the way that they looked and they kind of call on that but for me personally even though I don't have an African tribe to call upon African afrocentric um 
stylings in suits have always been more appealing to me than Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this is kind of a call out to how the NOI is is just kind of like a black version of America. Totally. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. really it's not really a, a, right. a rectifying. It's just a flipping of of, of sides or whatever. It's using that thing that's oppressed you to try to, to, to be to, on the to be behind to be behind the gun instead right. of in front of the gun, opposed to dismantling the gun. Uh, so a lot of I think what you just said it kind of perfectly explains why black culture drives fashion so much i think that's interesting uh perspective as far as like how we've had to the fact that we've had to take things and make them enjoyable if for lack of a better term you know what i mean from slavery on and then that creates this epigenetic sense of hip-hop you know what I mean? Because that's what hip-hop is. You know what I mean? It's just molding of culture. Black folks that didn't have instruments and in, mm-hmm. in this proper musical schooling, or how, if, if you want to say that proper is the term I'd like. Mm-hmm. But um, then they were just like, well, we got this. We got these record players. We can just take the samples of music that we don't know how to play just yet, and we can f- collage them together in mm-hmm. our own way or whatever. Same thing with with fashion as well where it's like we don't know what tribe we're from and our stuff but we'll take this stuff and we'll make it our own type thing mm-hmm. yeah when I first when I saw him in the suits there my first thought was oh that is so dope like what if protesters today did that everybody came out in suits lined up on militant but then my next thought was you know what I asked you the the kid who had seen him who's in this next scene but uh, the kid who's, who saw the whole thing going down and he was just like it created this sense of activism inside of him mm-hmm and then the juxtaposed to what it created inside the police officer, this that COINTEL pro-ism of anti-blackness or whatever. I thought that was very powerful and interesting to have those two sides of the coin right next to each other. Too much power for one man, says a man who has too much power. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. While the, the black youth is like, man, I can be somebody. Yeah. And then the cop is like, this dude is too much of yeah. somebody, you know yeah. what I mean? It's interesting. And that's what I'm on with my my mood toward police today. Just this feeling that they're special. Mm. You guys aren't special. You're not you special human beings. You're of equal value to everyone else. And it's like they have these special rights, special powers, special privileges. They want to be treated like they're special. Police are not special. Stop this, dude. Unfortunately, man, I wish they were. The fact of the way that it was created, you know, and if you look into that, the whole the way that it originated in slave patrols and oppression of the natives and indigenous peoples as as settlers were spreading out west, that's where it originates. And just like with slavery, a lot of America's greatest sins are never really uh, atoned right. or or even addressed. Right. It's just kind of swept up under the rug. They'll be like, all right, we won't do that no more. But let's not talk about it right. either. You know what I mean? Instead of actually, like, if you go through a divorce or anything like that, then there's recti- a rectifying period to, and a counseling period and all these type things. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what kind of creates a lot of the dynamics of today as far as the police worship is that we never really, a lot of people don't know what police really are. They just have this idea of cartoons, the sheriff keeping holding the law and order and it's and it really kind of gets lost what's really interesting for me with those people is they're the same people that are like i gotta keep my guns 
from from a Second Amendment rights because you need a well uh, yeah. well regulated militia in case the government. But it's like, bro, do you know what part of the government you're supposed to be? That's the that's the police, <laughs> and so it's really interesting. No, that's the uh, that's the wonderful irony of all those Second Amendment uh, diehards. Is like they're they're gonna side with the government with their guns. <laughs> they they're not have. gonna fight the government. They already have. Yeah, man, it's wild. It's so wild. They already have. Like as soon as anybody comes up to quell with dissent, oh, I'll run them over. I'll shoot them. They need they need to this. They need to that, bro. That's the right you were just talking yeah. about. We all need and need to exercise. People people who love their machine guns don't want them to fight oppression. They want them to be oppressors if they can. If at they some get point. that opportunity. They're foaming at the mouth to, de- to develop their militias and kidnap and kill Antifa and uh, uh-huh. or the BLM. libs. Or, BLM, man. That's a oh, new yeah. one I'm hearing. Like, right. People don't recognize that BLM is just anybody who cares about black people. It's not some really stringent organizations and it's just like you just keep seeing these hole in the wall media outlets being like blm organizer does this blm it's like that's just a person mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just spitting the fact that they care about black people you're just adding that on to mm-hmm. make it this acronym seem like something way worse right. which it was like making obamacare a bad thing he's like yeah i care <laughs> <laughs> if we really get down to the issue with police it all boils down to guns. It's police using mm. their guns to kill mm. people, right? That's really the base of this equation. And in America, we have the most thriving gun culture in the world where people want the streets flooded with guns. I mean, they say they want to protect their homes, but no, they want open carry. They want to be able to go everywhere with them. They want everyone to, to have to have one on them all times, essentially, because that's the only way you can have a safe society. I think it's important that we recognize there's diversity in those in those arguments, you know, as far right. as some people definitely are like gun ho gun everything for breakfast, dinner and lunch and shoot anything that moves. But there's also people who do want to protect their homes and who right. do enjoy hunting and right. whatnot. And so it's a very nuanced conversation that I feel like kind of gets talked over from both ends, you know, because I find myself in the middle agreeing partially with both and disagreeing partially with both. But there is no question that American gun culture is beyond, beyond logic. And yeah, I agree with you, by the way. I, I wrote like a 2,000 word essay on that exact same thing on what to actually do and what should be allowed or what I think should be allowed and what shouldn't. Um, so I agree. Um, what, what I guess what the point I was trying to make was you, you go to countries where there's kind of strict gun laws. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the police don't even carry guns because they don't, don't have them. to. Yeah. The, the reason the people opining for this insane gun culture, in my opinion, are the ones making police officers' jobs so difficult because they mm. have to worry about guns everywhere and they're worried about being shot by people all the time, so they claim. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if, if you start to work on the gun culture, that will directly affect police culture as well in a positive way, in my opinion. The murders, yes. Right, the murders, right. Yes. Um, but it's it's crazy, too, because you look at it, and it's, it's the murders, a lot of the murders, large percent of them are illogical. You know, I was just uh, listening to the audiobook version of Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers. He goes into just 
you know the dichotomy of what police what policing is is made to be what what the tactics are right. why it's it, they do it a certain way as far as like you know they thought that if you just patrol an area more then it would affect crime rates but it doesn't what you have to do is actually be overly aggressive you know and do things like ticket the small things and while you're ticketing somebody for such a simple thing like changing lanes without turning signals sandra bland Mm -hmm. then you're looking into the car for other little misnomers and little things like uh they were talking about fast food wrappers and things like that are signals to them that you might be like just red flags that you may be more criminal and so the more of those little things they see then the more they drag out the procedure and try and and investigate you while they're pretending to be your friend type thing it's a, it's a great book. I have a quote written down here. The only thing I like integrated is my coffee. I believe Malcolm says that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another reminder of what you're talking about, how it's uh, fighting fire with fire. So, in this movie, the word Negro is the respectable term for black men. I thought those were interesting as well. What is your opinion on that word in 2020? To me, it almost feels like it's it's a line. Like, don't do it, don't do it. I don't know. People are still doing that. You still have like the NAACP, which is like colored peoples and stuff. Right. You know what I mean, so it's like what's an evolution? And I I, I, inter, I inter, interact with um, people who don't get it often. And so over the years, I've come across people who were just like, well, you, one year you guys want us to call you Afro-American, next is Negro, next is that, next is that. It's like, it's because it's a learning process. You know what I mean? We're trying to just figure out mm-hmm. when you wipe someone's history out and then you take away their ability to learn and read and so forth, and they have to steal those abilities back, then it kind of takes a minute for them to figure out exactly what's what and, and kind of get everything cataloged and properly proper get the dialogue and proper perspective and so that's kind of where we're at where we're only what 60 years into having voting rights and things like right. that and and so the understanding of the proper terminology is coming into position as well as just different people having different feelings about different things where they there are people in the south who fly the confederate flag you know what i mean because mm-hmm. it just means something different to them whereas most most black people african americans would never do such a thing and think that that's like coonery or whatever mm-hmm. so it's like when you start talking about uh personal decision personal uh perspective towards i'm i'm black or i'm african-american it runs the gamut for everyone so me personally at this understanding of my life i prefer black because it signifies that i am fr- um a descendant of people who were enslaved and had their traditions taken and, and stolen and it doesn't ignore that and it doesn't pretend like no i know i'm i'm from kings or mm-hmm. whatever that whole uh mm-hmm. mythology which is understandable but yeah i'm more so on the like direct understanding that i know what i do know is my traditions were stolen and so i am part of the black people who who were part of that tradition You are listening to Talking Black Art, brought to you by the All Swede Collection Podcast Network. You can check out everything we do with this podcast and others on the network on Instagram. 
That's at All Sweet Collection, spelled A-H-L-S-W-E-D-E. Find us on Twitter as well, WordPress, blogs on Medium. Back to the show. So, uh, Malcolm becomes a national minister to Elijah Muhammad. Big promotion for him. Uh, he's assigned to build temples around the country. Um, I wrote down $1 million lawsuit. There's like a, a scene of the, where they're on the front page of the paper, I, but I didn't write down who sues who. <laughs> I forget. Yeah, I didn't even catch that, actually. I think somebody sued the Nation of Islam. Probably. Just wanted to mention that that was a thing happening. Lawsuits. As a quote, Islam is the only way out of the ghetto. Yeah, religion is always... Uh, parried itself as you know with Christianity it's just been more like pray for it and you might you might get all the, all the riches but even if you don't you know you you have the Lord's favor and after this then you're good and so then with the Muslims like how when they were talking to the Christians that were leaving church then he's like they, they keep selling you on the here and after but the here and after is here and now and so that's the difference between the Muslims and Christianity where the Muslims are like no right here right now right. if you believe in the message of Muhammad then your life is going to be manifested and you're going to live a better life here on earth right. whereas Christians were like you might be poor and in poverty forever but right. after this as long as you be good to Massa then you'd be good in the big house so it's it's a bigger con, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> More direct. Get that instant gratification. Malcolm gets engaged and married to uh, Dr. Betty Shabazz. I thought their whole courtship was was awkward for me. You know what I mean? What, what did you feel about that? For sure, a little. Well, I think that was intentional. It was like, sure. we're doing this for the greater cause. We're not doing this necessarily because we are soulmates, but like this is like part of something bigger. Like we're joining... Um, Forces. Interesting. I actually did not pick up on that. Yeah. That's that film major shit right there. Right? <laughs> wow. That was deep. And you yeah. know, and, and that, that that's like that's exactly what kind of feudal marriages are, right? It's like the 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 daughter to the king is gonna be married to the prince to this other king of this land so we can join powers and kinda and I think that was there's a little I bit of I feel like that there. might be an actual dynamic, but I didn't really pick up on it from the movie. And what I was getting right. from the movie was more so like her being the aggressor, for lack of a better term. And like she was kind of pursuing him and he was kind of too busy for relationships or whatever. So I kind of thought that was an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And I thought that w was true for, you know, Muslim dynamics or NOI dynamics anyway of that time for sure. Mm -hmm. Where it's like more on the female to be subservient and, and yeah. that whole vibe. And she's a doctor, by the way, and it's like she has to agree mm -hmm. now to be, you know, yeah. really lesser than in some ways, you know, there to serve the man. He's accused, uh, Malcolm's accused of being a black supremacist. Uh, you know, I think they're, that, that just goes goes back again to uh, kind of fighting white supremacism with black supremacism. Um, what do you think of that phrase? Are there modern phrases that people use, do you think? That are like yeah, less like reverse racism, but I think in that dynamic that actually fits because they were black, you know, our, right. our black supremacists, like black nationalism, that whole Marcus Garvey type thing is yeah. a black supremacist. They their doctrine is totally about the original man and all the others being mutants and inferior and all all this type of stuff. So it's definitely that's mm -hmm. it's factual, but. Yeah, today there's there's less factual, less accurate 
uh, phrasings, just like, yeah, reverse racism. And they're talking about like systematic racism, but what they're really talking about is prejudice, you know, racial prejudice. And mm-hmm. so I see that thrown around often. Just the term racism in general gets thrown around a lot in a really negligent manner on both sides, you know, from people mm-hmm. who are like, who are racist <laughs> and calling people who are calling them out for their in their problematic behavior racist. Mm-hmm. And then people who are just learning about racism and are kind of like that. You know, that old dude who just learned about hip hop or something. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, that boom bap. And he's saying it right, but it's just a little <laughs> something wrong with the cadence or whatever. And it's the same thing with kind of people when they get into, uh, I hate to say the term, but social justice or whatever. It's kind of, that's gotten a bad, a bad rap, yeah. social justice. But um, just people who are getting into humanity, for me, it's not about, you know, right. these all b- other crazy words. It's just about being a good human being, you know? Yeah, <laughs> not- I'm, proudly, I'm proudly into social justice. <laughs> uh, another quote, they've traded in those white sheets for police uniforms. Mm. Now, there are, I think, uh, I think I've heard you speak about this before. I think you may be more knowledgeable on this than me, but um, there are direct connections to the kkk and oh, police departments heck yes uh, heck uh, yes that start I, I guess i suppose back in the 1800s yes so you got the the slave uh slave patrols that's like before there even were police those mm-hmm. were the those were the police and then when you create when you switch from slave patrols to modern day metropolitan policing then the the racists were the police, you know what I mean? Yeah. So po- the KKK and the police were the same. They would wear, in the daytime, they'd wear police uniforms, and in the nighttime, they'd wear KKK uniforms. Yeah. And that's not every cop, just like not all cops were bad right. or, or whatever. But, you know, it, it was a large thing, especially in the South. It was just well known that many of the police officers and, and the, the high-ranking police officers right. at that were high-ranking Ku Klux Klan members as well. Um, and I believe that's still true to this day. Like some people who right. are extremely racist and part of racist groups are uh, patrolling our streets as policemen. Right. Yeah, two things. on if, if you are a white supremacist, the police force is a wonderful place for you. <laughs> you get to enact all uh, your, your feelings. Um, so I think at the very... Or I think that it, it's a it's a breeding ground for white su- supremacists in some ways. You know, I don't I don't know what those percentages would be. But it's a mechanism of white supremacy. Yeah. You know, because th- the way that policing is set up is just like I said, it, it comes from that the residuals of where it comes from haven't been addressed enough, and that's why you see the numbers that you see as far as you know black folks being three four times more likely to be arrested and mm-hmm. and having higher chances of getting longer sentences for the same crimes is because it does the, the racism is baked it's just baked in and so until we just really take a hard look at it then mm-hmm. whoever is a police officer is a officer of white supremacy unfortunately and it does uh you know, there's something too. I, there was a, a post we might have seen recently, some about how, uh, you know, you would, and I don't think it was talking about like KKK rallies, but you, you'd never see, you know, rubber bullets and tear gas 
or brutality at a KKK function yeah. or, you know, certainly not at a, at a, you know, pro police function. Um, but nope. uh, there's something to that, I think. Very much That's one so. of those, oh yeah, moments, you know. This. So they, back right here in uh, Chico, they had the BLM things when the George Floyd situation was going on. And then around the corner, you got police tanks and, and, and riot gear and all this stuff. And it's just kids and families trying to say, we care, you know what I mean? And they got right. police. Then juxtaposed to earlier today, I believe it was, they, where they had the police rally down in, in the same area with more aggressive individuals. Right. You know what I mean, people who were coming with aggression, but they were in support of the police. And you see no, you don't, you don't see the same reaction and the same precautions being taken. That shit makes and me so, so that mad. Sells you some, it sells you all you need to know if you're, if you're mm. interested in knowing. Good topic. Malcolm talks about Martin Luther King a little bit. Um, he mentioned him as a quote, uh, Uncle Tom, Negro leader, unquote. What do you think about that dynamic between those two? I mean, was there a real kind of beef there? <laughs> Just yeah, to, man. It's, they it's, dislike each other. Did Malcolm just dislike his Martin? ideologies? And before, when a large reason why they killed Martin is because he uh, started adopting some of Malcolm's ideologies towards really? his end. Yes, for sure. Interesting. And but during the time where Malcolm was alive, the ideologies kind of butted heads. Where Malcolm is any means necessary, and he's trying to create a black nation. Where Malcolm. Is saying let's find common ground martin you mean i mean yeah, yeah excuse me yeah martin is saying let's find common ground and work within the system right to get what we can and i see validity validity in both but i don't see any pragmatism or uh, it being a, a really valid option to create a black nation you know there's just right. like what are you gonna do, are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> you're just gonna run a bunch of people out well, of this area or something wasn't 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 the nations of islam's goal to move back to africa Am I that, right that is yeah. one yeah noi and um create yeah create a black nation so right. yeah that's where they wanted the nation to be is right. in africa I mean, what 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 an argument, man! What an all-time argument between Malcolm and Martin, right there. I think I think Martin won that argument pretty yeah. pretty uh, handily. Right. I mean, people say, "Well, but they killed him." But you just look at the actual um, enactments. You know, the fact that the Civil Rights Act. Right. You know that that wouldn't have happened without all of the video of people getting attacked by dogs and sprayed down with water hoses by police. And this, this is with children. People are like, oh, are you bringing children to a protest? Martin Luther King did. And if he didn't, a lot of well-intentioned white folks wouldn't have been equally affected in a, in a way that created enough momentum and galvanized the country's desire to say, you know what, black people deserve human rights, mm -hmm. which which so many other people have benefited from the Civil Rights Act since then. Yeah, and you also look at how the two are depicted in classrooms from kindergarten on, right? Like we are taught about Martin like day one. You know, mm -hmm. that I have a dream speech, like one of the first things I remember in like a first grade classroom, you know, um, Malcolm, not so much taught in elementary schools. No. So I think that's, that, that kind of goes to Malcolm's point. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that's based on, yeah, the, the white supremacist structure, especially start talking about what's being taught from K right. through 12 
and especially if you go back like 10 years you know what i mean because things have slightly progressed where it's like it's kind of a less uh consistent thing that you're getting taught uh, columbus discovered america and things like that and that's just right. within the last 10 years but if you go back 20 years and yeah malcolm is villainized black panther is villainized right. and like these are people who did things that helped not just black people even though a lot of malcolm's early ideals were noi racism or, or uh, racial prejudice he his actions and his ability to help uplift the black mind state has helped not just black people but mm -hmm. america there's a show that malcolm's on uh and the title of the show it's like just kind of a talk show it's a uh, the black Muslims hate mongers, <laughs> or there's not even a question mark. Actually, it's just black Muslims hate mongers. Hey, welcome to part four on the film Malcolm X. This is. Talking Black Art. I am one half of your hosting duo, Derek Allstreet. With me today, as always, is Corey Hunt. Enjoy the episode. We enjoyed the film. Malcolm X, Talking Black Art. Let's go. We replace our slave name with an X. X in mathematics representing the unknown. Since we've been disconnected or cut off from our own history, our own past, our own culture, our own land, we use the X the unknown, until we get back to our country. I see. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Payson? Mr. X is a... He's a demagogue. He has no place to go, so, so he exaggerates. He's a disservice to every good, law-abiding, church-going American Negro in the country. Mr. Malcolm X. Why do you teach black supremacy? Why, why, why do you teach hate? Well, for the white man to ask the black man why he hates him is like the wolf asking the sheep or the rapist asking the rape do you hate me the white man is in no moral position to accuse the black man of anything yeah that guy man those guys those the guys yeah owens, tell me about those guys <laughs> the candace owens is of the world man <laughs> fuck well, is, wasn't that guy essentially speaking from martin's uh point of view though too but it was more because martin never really was uh downing he never really downed it he would just gotcha. kind of be like that's a different style and i can see more value in this style than in the more violent all right lost it all right but um i love the impressions man. he uh he was more from the white like if you notice even malcolm even called him white he's like i know white that man was amazing no, because that's what he was doing <laughs> he was speaking for white people who pretend to not understand you know what i mean where he understands why he's yeah. he's one of us or was in some some fashion but he decided to you know uh volunteer to do something else and be and that's why he broke it down on him like you was a house nigga you want some house nigga shit like you just want us to be cool with what's going on but we saying nah man <laughs> we ain't sick today boss is sick and we need to get up out of here before he can make us sick and so, yeah, I don't, I don't think he was necessarily speaking from a Martin stance, but right. 
Martin's stance is very. Uh, we, we're gonna get into that too in, in some future podcasts. But his stance right. is very uh, nuanced and has some slightly problematic essences to it as well, in my opinion. Because yeah, I can't that wait to get into I'm 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 uh, accused of these things too that I find problematic in the in the Martin stance is because when you're trying to be peaceful. And you're trying to be moderate or you're trying to reach across the aisle and all those type of things. It's just a really... Uh, Heck yeah. It's a, it's a dangerous dance, you know, yeah. that can quickly be seen from outsiders and mi- that misinterpret your intentions or don't under- know your intentions or whatever. And they're just like, oh, no, this guy is 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 doing the coon dance. He's doing, yeah. he's doing playing the game or whatever. And so I'm kind of hesitant with any accusations against Martin because I totally can relate to right. the difficulties of being able to understand someone's intentions or whatever. But I'm also open to the idea that some of his actions and stances were problematic. Yeah. Fascinating. <sighs> Sometimes I gotta just let these things soak in for a second. <laughs> I'll be all over the place with this shit. I love it. Um... He's a demagogue. Okay. Oh, so I I wrote down um just a, a note that I I took uh, worries of ego taking over. Mm. Uh, and this is consistent with his past. This is a nice kind of character um, uh, theme uh, throughout the film. And yeah, I mean we all battle that in our own unique ways. Obviously, once you develop a public platform, then it goes to a different stratosphere. And um. You know, you you can't you can't understand it until you're in the position in terms of what your ego is going to do, how you have to manage it, um, what what how it may lead you astray, how it may be counterproductive. And ego's a hell of a thing, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was very interesting. Ego's a hell of a drug, because Malcolm, you know, it just creates a lot of curiosity. No no real answers or judgments or anything like that. But I'm just really curious. I would love to just go back or go up in heaven or wherever and just pick his brain about you know i mean what 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 was really going on up top you know because it could be a lot of different things you know i mean Mm -hmm. the reality of who malcolm x was could be so many different things that Mm -hmm. that's that's a very intriguing intriguing topic in itself for me yeah quote praise the lord and pass the ammunition (laughs) it was in response to like black men being armed and how they shouldn't be armed or something like that and like uh, well White 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 people. This is this is their mantra. <laughs> Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Mm-hmm. So he now begins to say Malcolm begins to say that he is nonviolent. I guess he never. Okay, I take that back. I guess he never promoted violence uh, as a speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he says specifically in the film he's nonviolent. Um, he cannot answer. The question, are all white people devils? He, he just kind of avoids answering the question. I think he's being interviewed by a white man. Maybe he's at a point to where, you know, he's like maybe identifying some uh, contradictions, potential contradictions. In Seems the, in like message. that point like where you're like, this might not be true, but you're right. not convinced that it is right. yet, so you can't really say anything. Those moments, those moments are t- <laughs> But those are moments of, of, of learning and growth, evolution. Yeah, critical. Right? Uh, a white woman comes up to him in a scene and she, she asks, uh, what can I do to further your cause? <laughs> and he says So that's nothing. before he leaves the NOI and he's like, yeah, you can't do nothing for me. <laughs> She's just like... I'm sorry, uh, man. I just love... I love those moments with Denzel. <laughs> with Denzel, he's just so good, dude. Oh. 
<laughs> love it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, the lady's reaction or whatever. I kind of got caught, more caught up on, on that whole aspect of it. It was just that. Her reaction? That white fragility of just being like, but I want to save, I want to save you. That white you know, savior right. complex. Or and you know, but also just complex scene right there. Complex yeah. five second scene. Like, A lot of them. what do you do with someone who has love and good intent and, and energy to, to, you know, give? Do you do you turn them down? I mean, what should you do? I don't, I don't I mean, think so. Yeah, I think I think I think that is, I think that in yeah that that's kind of uh, I think a, it really a, an evolved thing that we can all agree on. I think point. it really highlighted the flaw in that ideology. Gotcha. You know, you got somebody that's really just she's got the books and she's just rare and ready to go, and you're just like, nah, you just go away, and that's right. just that's so much energy that you just aren't taking advantage of. Throwing away free resources, basically. Mm-hmm. Talks about fatherhood, careers, responsibility. The powder keg explodes. The house explodes. It's talking about just like I think the reaction of of Black America and that like we can take this house down if we want to. You know, we're the powder keg. We just we haven't really exploded yet. There's this, there's a speech. Um, uh, I think on the Daily Show, this woman that or this monologue that she's given where she's like, you're lucky that we just want justice and not, not uh, revenge. Not yeah. revenge. Mm-hmm. Very powerful message there. So we get to where there are charges against Elijah Muhammad where he, I guess the charges are just that he had children out of wedlock. I didn't mm-hmm. guess. Was that the no, whole thing? No, there was also like sexual allegations. Like he was like sex, sexual abuse or whatever. He got me too. Mm-hmm. Okay. He got me too for sure. OG me too. <laughs> Dr. Shabazz questions uh, the Nation of Islam's support for Malcolm. So now we start to go down this road where um, the Nation of Islam is uh, maybe turning on him a little bit. Uh, Elijah Muhammad betrays him. Um, I forgot to write down details on that. Yeah, because it seems like it starts with the fellow that actually brought him in. Right. And I'm extremely interested in who that is supposed to be right now all of a sudden. The, the, that real person, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had, I forgot, I wrote the character's name down in the other notes. Um, so we talked about him. Does he have it? So he has a name in the movie? What was his name? Yeah, let me, uh, yeah, let's get that. I need to know. But yeah, he's the one who starts, and it seems to be out of jealousy. He's like, man, I brought this dude in, and he's going to be the next Elijah Muhammad. <laughs> and yeah, so his name, so he's on screen right now, too. His yeah. name is Baines. That's his character. Baines, that's right. Yeah, so I keep. Is he wondering. made up? He might be entirely made up just for the sake of the narrative. I think narrative. he might be yeah. uh, like Farrakhan or something, dude. I want to look into like the relationship Farrakhan and yeah. and uh, Malcolm had because that's the, that's the presence that he gives off to me, how he's so close to Ma- Elijah Muhammad and, and Malcolm mm-hmm. and Farrakhan was as well. But he's a little bit younger than this character seems to be playing. Yeah, I mean he should have he sh- should have been careful about getting him to convert and taking him under his wing if he's worried about him taking over. <laughs> I mean you can't have it both ways. Should have did something. He, he did something just wrong. Been all love and respect, and hey, good job, Malcolm. That's what he should have said. Quote: "The deeds of a great man far outweigh his weaknesses." I think this is what Elijah Muhammad says uh, in response to what he did. Interesting concept there it's true and not true it's a tough one elijah muhammad says that those children were a uh, fulfillment of his prophecy mm-hmm. kind of creepy they got some wild uh, prophecies in the quran for yeah. sure um, as far as virgins and their whole yeah their sexual inhibitions are, are pretty uh, prevalent in their 
religious right. uh, achievements or whatever. Same with the Christian church, obviously. It kind of made me, yeah, just think of that kind of, that that older pastor that's using his position of power in the community, like, for, like, a sexual advantage with younger people. I'm, Slight parallel for sure. Like, but the difference is, like, with Christianity, they're like, nah, you're not supposed to be getting down pretty much at all, except for with your wife. Whereas with Muslims, you can. So the official message things. is what's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in my opinion, yeah, yeah, from my perspective. Ooh, so uh, Malcolm calls the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy uh, mm. justice and that it made him glad. Um, the uh, Nation of Islam, of course got upset from by this because it hurt their brand obviously that really flares to that dy- that dynamic of curiosity of like where was malcolm at mentally was he really trying to you know what i mean what was, what was his his true goals for self or whatever because that strikes very egotistical mm-hmm. you know what I mean? because it wasn't really pragmatic it's like when you're playing chess right you know what i mean you don't really want to just throw your pieces out in this way that's going to get you attacked in a way that you're not going to get anything back for it you know what i mean so he kind of just put the queen in damage and lost the queen yeah for nothing you know what i mean so i thought that was a very interesting act and it seems to be the the straw that broke the camel's back right and that uh they put him on a 90 day silence at mm-hmm. that point um what just struck me was you're talking about how martin's ideology was more to make the current system better, mm-hmm. I suppose, whereas Malcolm's was to get out of the system altogether. Mm-hmm. This contradicts it a little bit from Nation of Islam. It's like, you know, this it hurt their image and their brand. So like, no, 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 we want to distance ourselves now from Malcolm that he said this. Isn't that them kind of playing into the approval of of white America? Yeah, but I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get their own nation and they're trying to get America to accept them having their own nation. And so they don't want to piss off America. So they had to appease. So they are playing the appease yeah. game in a, in a sense. Yes, yeah. definitely. Attempted murder by the nation of Islam. Oh, when he tells him, he comes, I forget which brother, it was It was the dark-skinned brother, I believe. And he comes and he says... I was supposed to come and do something, but I can't do it. Oh, yeah. And he was supposed yeah. to put the bomb on his car, and he's like, I couldn't do it. And he's like, but I follow you, so what do you want me to do? And he's like, you follow, you know, Elijah. I forget his exact uh, verbiage, but he basically was like, no, you just go on back home. And Wow. You know I mean? what, a, what a dynamic right there. Very interesting dynamic. Um, yeah, fascinatingly complex scene and moment. Um, so, yeah, the Nation of Islam is already trying to kill him at this point. That was interesting. He had that disciple right there, and he just sent him away again. I thought that was very interesting. Sending away all his allies, man. It's like he just want. It's like, is his behavior self-destructive in the end? Is is he mm-hmm. is he trying to hurt himself? <laughs> Hindsight, definitely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I say, man, it's just curious what was going on up top. Uh, we got a Muslim Mosque Incorporated. I think he was trying to start that. That was, that was his own business. Yes, that he started. When he started his his mosque when he separated. And instead of being NOI, now he was. These are mountain. These are Malcolm Muslims, right. basically. <laughs> Not a bad idea on his part. Black nationalism, uh, control the politics of your own community, self responsibility. Um, I think we talked about that a little bit in the first podcast. And I think he was getting away from black nationalism at that point and moving into black capitalism. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the verbiage they used in the movie. In the movie, at that point. I think they associate this moment where he's starting his own mosque with mm-hmm. black nationalism. But it's it's really in reality because see what right. he's saying because he's moving away from just separation. Mm-hmm. You know, he's moving away from the sep- the idea of separation and into we can all help each other mm-hmm. and we're all struggling with oppression across the globe type situation, but also in the vein of black capitalism being like we need to spend our dollars in our neighborhood. Right. And make it bounce around within the community as many times as it does as dollars bounce around in other communities. The the, the self-responsibility narrative, it, it it makes me think of Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a big point like this isn't don't stop blaming the whole don't blame yeah, your problems blame on the, the white, white man. man yeah. Take responsibility. So um, I think a lot of white people love listen to that and they love it yeah they're like oh i agree with that you know like that's their home run that's just like a grand slam coming off the bat oh yeah um what are (laughs) what are your feelings about that in 10 seconds go so it's fucking stupid man it's like of course we all should pull ourselves up by our bootstraps but you don't look at somebody who doesn't have boots on and tell them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps Mm -hmm. and it's obvious to see who doesn't have their and doesn't have the bootstrap so what happens often is you have the person who's middle class uh fairly well off and educated explaining to you about black oppression that's affecting a large percentage of the black community in america and then you see that person who may happen to be black and say pull yourself up by your bootstraps that person has already done that (laughs) and they're not talking usually for themselves they're talking about a community and a system that makes it difficult to do that because large largely the people who have been in that position myself included have been blessed by you know people who aren't so heavily affected by oppression or have been blessed by anomalies you know people who are were just exceptions to the rule and so we don't base systems off of exceptions but off of the rule and so if the largest percent if the median income in a black household is is this much lower than the median income in the household of a different race then there's a, a situation there that we don't pin on individuals mm-hmm. but we look for the policies that are creating that environment nice. uh terry cruz is kind of the new mm. face of this he's one of them message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's one of them and it's it's interesting he's going Those, after it too he's not slowing down like you should see his twitter feed i don't know if you follow him, i have yeah. i don't follow it but i have yeah. been ke- keeping a glance here and there as best i can without going crazy but those people are also from often from these well-off backgrounds and so they are just like racist white people in a right. sense because the reason why some white people are, are racist isn't because they're white just like the reason why some black people are criminal isn't because they're black it's environment it's right. policies and so some black people grow up in those environments and the way that they're dealing with that internalized self-confusion of being around white people and not really being able to learn why certain black people are a certain way is by just relating to common culture of what white what they've been hearing as they've grown up and so that's what terry cruz is doing is he's just it's uh just saying what he what he heard other white people saying or whatever and coming from a place of ignorance you know not really being from these neighborhoods and rubbing elbows Mm -hmm. because that's what makes you get an understanding of different people of white people black people poor people homeless whatever it is it's just getting close to them and actually interacting with them 
with regularity to the point to where the myths and stereotypes against that group Mm -hmm. no longer have as much weight Mm -hmm. and i feel like he hasn't done himself that favor it's almost like a black man using white privilege it is some weird it is (laughs) impossible it's not white privilege it's it's wealth privilege right it's it's all these other little different privileges or whatever for sure he's 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 in a privilege bubble for sure and it's unfortunate that they are so aggressive with their (laughs) ignorance aggressively (laughs) ignorant man uh this movie man it's amazing um all right we get to the pilgrimage malcolm goes to egypt um the big revelation uh, mm. here, I believe, is that he changes his behavior towards the white race. Um, he mentions that he's followed by white men. Um, this is, I think, a genuine rebirth for Malcolm. This is, we we're talking about the different stages of his life, the three acts of his life in this film. This is, this is I think, the beginning of the third act of, mm-hmm. his, of his life. Um, he's back in the USA. Uh, a crowd applause. Charge. Oh, okay. They're, the UN, the United Nations, have charged the United States. I don't know why I didn't write down what the charges were. And the crowd that he's speaking of applauds it, which is this real, I don't know if it was subtle or not, but it was like a crowd with white people, I believe, is applauding charges against the United States that are re- related to race. I should have wrote down what the specific charges were. Might have been, was it uh, Vietnam? I don't know. I don't remember either. I feel like it was like a crimes against humanity thing with I think with it race. Might have been Vietnam because they did have. Oh, crimes so it against wasn't. It didn't have anything to do with slavery. I don't think so. No, I don't think no? they had any. Okay. I don't think. Oh, maybe, maybe. That's maybe. my bad. I should have written down the specific yes, charges. But it was like there's this look on Malcolm's face where he's like, "Wait, wait, crowds are applauding this now." Mm-hmm. Like it was like I think it was Spike showing how part of the nation is starting to evolve a little bit. Yeah, when you hit the '60s. Mm-hmm. And that is, yeah, right about that time, too, because, yeah, he, he got murdered, I think it was in 65. Those those three uh, acts of Malcolm's life in this film we have, the first act is he's a young adult. I guess you could say he's misguided or he's just trying to figure figure his way out in the world. Um, not misguided. 65. Yeah, 65. Second act is he's, you know, kind of a, a ruthless leader fighting white supremacism with his own type of supremacism, black supremacism. Um, and then now, Act Three, he is becoming a peaceful leader. He's becoming his best self. Amazing speech by Denzel. Why didn't I write down the time on this? I'm failing on the notes at the end here. Um, he is pro-gun for black people. I think Killer Mike is, I think, one of the biggest voices in in the culture now on the, on that topic. Yeah, um, they're they're having a movement again. Yeah, I've been seeing some some movement in that area as far as blacks. Mm-hmm. And, and and trying to create uh, unions around black gun ownership is because the NRA is not for black people. Right. Like the one time they were for gun regulation was the the Mulford Act, which was mm-hmm. when the Black Panthers stormed the Capitol right. with guns. Right. And so then the NRA was like, yeah, actually, you know, we should come up with some regulations for. And so you know. The NRA in hey. itself is as a whole <laughs> is a whole blog vlog thing that yeah. definitely is worthy of. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean when I see, you know the uh, MAGA Confederate types with their camo on and holding their machine guns on the Capitol steps, I think abolish the Second Amendment. <laughs> when I see black men dressing all black with their machine guns protecting like 
a black congresswoman walking to work, I'm like, yes, Second Amendment, <laughs> let's go. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. Like, it's just I'm the, like, amendments are trash. <laughs> Bro, it's 2020. I'm just saying, I like seeing black men with guns more than I like seeing white men with guns. I'm not too big on seeing big crowds of people with guns, <laughs> period, personally. But I, I am I'm a gun owner, and I'm not an, I'm not anti-gun, mm-hmm. but I'm anti-war-type like war type situations, you know what I mean? War right. doesn't solve things, right. you know what I mean? Like, the Civil War didn't solve anything. We're still fighting that battle right now, you know what I mean? People, we took, we stole their slavery, their, their, their law that they created to where they could enslave people, but we didn't create an, a, a dialogue to where they decided that they didn't want to do that anymore. And so now still, you know, whatever it is, uh, 200 years later, mm-hmm. we're still trying to convince each other that which which ideals are best. And we're not even acknowledging that that's what we're doing, you know? Yeah. And so we're not having a good go of it. Right. I guess, yeah, I guess there's this like, instinct where it's it's kind of easy to really love fighting fire with fire when you haven't been for so long so mm. it's like i i i think i i think i identify that most from a political standpoint it's like republicans are always like super aggressive like creating these ads that are just like destroying people democrats always gotta take the high road blah 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 and i'm like no fuck that so that just appeals to me that's that's that about malcolm is what appeals to me so much or any black militant honestly and like so that's where that like love of seeing black men with guns in the streets comes from versus uh, white people in the streets. But that is not the most evolved way to go about it. It's about better. It's about better. Not the, not the same. And yeah, not switching sides for sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the time when the emotions get involved and the pain gets involved, right. People are seeking revenge over, right. Over rectifying, you know? And I think I've seen that so often be an issue, you know, as an, as a, accused alleged organizer you know <laughs> you know i see people who an accused like, organizer <laughs> <laughs> but i see people they're just like they have the, such the best intentions we're so many of us are just sick yeah bro you know what i mean in these different ways of just dealing with life right. and past and the inability of processing things properly or knowing that things are affecting us negatively to be even be able to process them that that is affecting our ability to be activists or whatever to be to address the issues at hand because then we come in to these discussions argumentative and and unhealthy you know what i mean so we come from this unhealthy place where right. where you're going to talk about if you're going to deal with these things you got to come in super clean and ready to get muddy you know what i mean if you come in already muddy and already soaked then it's just like you you're not really prepared and, and ready to, to to do that work and i feel like that's where most of us are most of the time is just in this place of not clean enough to clean anything yeah <laughs> you know? yeah I don't even know how to fix that. Clean yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Wash your ass, boy. <laughs> so uh, Malcolm has death threats put on him. His house is burned down, just like his father's was. He's having, uh, you know, he's having speaking engagements. There's a scene where he refuses to frisk the attendees. Mm. He says, "I trust that Allah will protect me." Mm. Oh, it's that old. Uh, God will God will take care of me, and then ignore all all semblance of like uh, you know planning and 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 uh, 
being smart and taking care of yourself and being safe. And I think an interesting dynamic there too was he went from speaking in these arena type engagements to going back to his grass to his roots of like since he started his own thing now he has to go back to where he started because when he started when he like when he when he was getting out of jail and he was starting up his ministry then and you see uh smokey i believe his name was spike lee's character Mm -hmm. he's in the back so he's in this small room or whatever and then he works his way up to these big auditoriums and he's on TV and he's doing these things. And then it, it kind of just shows that he was willing to divorce all of that for his personal, you mm -hmm. know, uh, not agenda, but morals, I guess would be a mm -hmm. phrase for it. And right. so then he had to go back and start back to where he basically, where he started from or whatever, all over, start all over again. And yeah, that was very powerful and, and, and uh, accurate and important mm -hmm. as far as that's kind of how it went down as far as how he got assassinated was yeah. of his own naivete, I guess you could say, of allowing that. Right. And it seemed like almost... Intentional, self-destructive. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's yep. one of the I think takeaways from this movie that I'm realizing now is he pretty self-destructive. I just wish he got security because he we needed him on Earth. He had security; he just didn't use it. Yeah, right. Um, see, he's uh, being wiretapped, so it just shows the um, kind of government involvement and how they're worried about and watching him and listening to him. I'm not sure, but I believe there's like this dynamic of they were following him and tapping him, but didn't at this event. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I mix I mix up a lot of things. It might be it might be Martin that they did that too. Like one either Martin or Malcolm when they right when they got assassinated, they were following him and tapping him, and then right before they got assassinated, they stopped. It's a time for martyrs now, he says. And I think he's referring to there the 1960s. Go. He knows he's a martyr. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was his intention. Yeah. Damn, this makes me sad now. He says, call up the reverend kind of casually to one of his assistants right before he goes on. Or one of the people, one of his brothers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was in reference to MLK. Like, it showed that they're starting to... Maybe develop a relationship? I don't know, just throwing that out there. I don't know what that could meant. be like a funeral thing. <laughs> I oh, don't know. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It could be a lot of things. It was pretty vague. There's a um there's a smile that he gives right before he's shot. Yes. All this stuff feeds into him being self destructive, mm -hmm. I'm just realizing. So it kinda it kinda it kinda paints it as a uh, proxy suicide almost. Right. Like he, like he, ha he just let them kill him. He knew what they were yeah. trying to do, and he just let him do it. Because I mean, you think about it, the life that he was living had to be so. He was losing everything. He's he's about to lose the house where he they burned it down. Anyways, he, he lost the house. Right. He doesn't have. He's not making income like that, and so life is just really stressful. He's got all these kids and so forth. Yeah, I wrote down his poor wife. Mm -hmm. It was one of my notes. Like, man. That poor woman, what Eddie she... Shabazz was a soldier, man. I mean, she, she was, had to deal with it. She was certainly depicted as a great person, and, you know, she had no flaw in this, in this film as, as a character. Um, her, even the kids, you see the, how the kids came up, and it is a tale, testament to the woman that she was, for sure. Yeah. All right, we have one last clip here. We are at the end of the film. Also, there's a... Uh, 
documentary on Netflix. Have you seen that? Who Killed Malcolm X? Mm-mm. That's a good check. Let's just check that out. Yeah. The assassination of Malcolm X was an unfortunate tragedy, and it reveals that there are still uh, numerous people in our nation who have degenerated to the point of expressing dissent through murder, and uh, we haven't learned to disagree without being violently disagreeable. It is not in the memory of man that this beleaguered, unfortunate, but nonetheless proud community has found a braver, more gallant young champion than this Afro-American who lies before us, unconquered still. I say the word again as he would want me to, Afro-American. Afro-American Malcolm. Malcolm had stopped being Negro years ago. It had become too small, too puny, too weak a word for him. Malcolm was bigger than that. Malcolm had become an Afro-American, and he wanted so desperately that we, that all his people, would become Afro-Americans too. There are those who still consider it their duty as friends of the Negro people, to tell us to revile him, to flee even from the presence of his memory, to save ourselves by writing him out of the history of our turbulent times. And we will smile. They will say that he is of hate, a fanatic, a racist, who can only bring evil to the cause for which you struggle. And we will answer and say unto them, did you ever talk to Brother Malcolm? Did you ever touch him or have him smile at you? Did you ever really listen to him? You haven't done the right thing. Was he ever himself associated with violence or any public disturbance? For if you did, you would know him. And if you knew him, you would know why we must honor him. Malcolm was our manhood our living black manhood. This was his meaning to his people, and in honoring him, we honor the best in ourselves. However much we may have differed with him, or with each other about him and his value as a man, let his going from us serve only to bring us together now. Consigning these mortal remains to earth, the common mother of all, Securing the knowledge that what we place in the ground is no more now a man, but a seed, which after the winter of our discontent will come forth again to meet us, and we shall know him then for what he was and is, a prince, our own black shining prince, who didn't hesitate to die because he loved us so. And so today, May 19th, we celebrate Malcolm X's birthday because he was a great, great Afro-American. And Malcolm X is you, all of you. And you are Malcolm X. I'm Malcolm X! I'm Malcolm X! I'm Malcolm X! I'm Malcolm X! As Brother Malcolm said,
weakness, our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be given the rights of a human being, to be respected as a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intended to bring into existence. By any means <laughs> this is when I'd be crying if I was watching it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest all-time flex in cinematic history is to uh, cast Nelson Mandela at the end of your film. Lightweight, lightweight. <laughs> no, man, it was probably one of the best movies ever, dude. As I know. far as just really cinematically, it was great. Actor, casting. Thematically. Me mes yeah, message-wise, just content-wise. Uh, the presentation of all these little different things. It was it was a very well done movie for sure by far. It's um, an inspirational movie. Um, it educational. Is educational. It is um, as relevant today as maybe any piece of art. It's it's up there. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a movie I'm gonna recommend and promote to any and everyone that <laughs> I come across in my life, whether it's a a student in junior high or you know a grandma or grandpa um i agree it's one of my favorite movies ever i didn't know that it was so uh i'm glad that glad that we did this yeah i forgot that it was for sure man i, I forgot how great it was by far all right malcolm x in the books we made it mlk up next we made it ava duvernay selma can't wait